The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to be debating the case for atheism. And to start us out, we have Mark Reed. Thank you, everybody, for being here. The floor is all yours, Mark. Oh, thank you very much. And I do have a, a screen to share, if you could be so kind, Ryan. Um, I want to thank Ryan for moderating my opponents for being here, and of course, my partner, Leo. And thank you for, for joining us today. Am, am I up and running? You are up and running. Beautiful. Okay, so today we're going through the case for atheism, and I'll sort of begin by by sort of defining atheism in general. It's polysemisort has multiple definitions depending on the context. Um, the context of general speech um, may be put as a disbelief or lack of belief in gods. That's a very broad definition, though. Um, while that general definition of atheism is is sort of used today or tonight, we're going to be arguing for the um, atheism defined in the philosophy of religion. Um, it's also known generally as hard atheism or strong atheism. Um, so while atheism is a uh, lack of belief in God or gods, the strong atheism position is one that not only lacks a belief, but it says that um, it, uh, no God exists. Uh, it's a subtle distinction, but it, it is an important one because this comes with a, a positive claim. Even that provisional belief, some justification should be proffered as to why the belief is held, um, which is what I'll be going into tonight. Um, so um, this definition we'll find is very vague and it's meant to encompass any God. It, it needs a little explanation to break down what I'm talking about. Um, Non-material and atemporal means that it does not necessarily exist in, in space-time or at least is not hindered by them or transcends space-time. Um, something that is necessary is the cause or origin for things but is not caused itself, making it beholden to no other entity or thing. Um, an agent is something that can think, make decisions and take actions something that has agency. Um, this assumes that a mind is involved in some way and that can choose what action to take or not to take. Um, if this is, definition is a problem for my opponents, uh, we can narrow it down to a more local level, but this should encompass any god that I could possibly think of. Um, so there's a few reasons to uh, sort of establish why God as a proposition should not only be disbelieved, it should be believed that no God in fact exists. When we look at how to evaluate a claim, unfalsifiable claims are not worth considering for a truth status. It's, there's no, no way that they can be falsified. For instance, Carl Sagan may have an invisible, immaterial, all-powerful dragon in their garage. But if there's no way to falsify or investigate the truth of the claim, then it should be considered false until the time exists that some sort of criteria for falsification can be established. Um, because the claim of the God comes with the assertion that it accounts for all possible things, then by its nature, it's unfalsifiable. As no set of circumstances would ever falsify the God or the immaterial dragon. For this debate, I'll be asking our opponents what standard of falsification that, that they would use. Um, so verificationism is the doctrine that states that a truth statement is only true if it can be verified either with empirical senses or by pure logic, and, and a God seems to fail um, on either category. Um, the important part is that we only have confidence in things because they continue to show themselves to be true. However, we can't observe all cases everywhere. For instance, you could say 
a heavy object release will fall down, but the question can be asked, have you observed all instances of falling things falling down at all times in all locations? We do not need to observe all things at all times to know that this, this is not possible. Enough repeated instances can allow us to say, I know something heavy will fall when I release it. Um, this claim is easily falsifiable. A single instance of being on the earth and something floating up will falsify it. But until that time, we're justified in saying that things when heavy things when dropped on the earth will drop and not float upwards. Um, so any god that interacts with the world, uh, the, as a the claim comes from theists, should be detectable on some physical level, as long as it interacts with the physical world. If a god is the cause of the universe, it should be detectable on some level. There's lots of claims god's responsible, again, without falsification. An appeal to design hiddenness or some other excuse must be made um, for lack of evidence. But again, the intangible dragon could also use hiddenness for the, for the same criteria. Um, I, I would demand that we have some sort of criteria for falsibility for the god to even be meaningfully considered. Now, a hidden god or a deus god that doesn't interact with the world is just as bad because there's no way to show such a god exists. Again, it's unfalsifiable. The main reason I believe no gods exist because we are beginning to understand the mind and it seems a mind cannot exist without the brain. We have trillions of minds and the complexity of mind is directly linked to the complexity of the brain. Indeed, if a brain is damaged, the mind is too. If a brain is split, then the mind is split too. Now, notice I'm not saying that a mind without a brain is impossible. However, I do have a reasonable provisional belief based upon what humans have learned about minds that a mind without the neurons and neurochemical reactors of the brain seems antithetical to the process we understand. Again, I have not scoured the entire universe for brainless minds, obviously, but the, the, again, the same is true of some, dropping something heavy. I'm justified to say that minds require brains until such a time zone presented with a mind without a brain. That is a justified belief. So again, I want to make clear I'm not saying it's logically impossible for a mind without a brain to exist, and I'm not just basing my argument on the existence of minds with brains. Consider if I say all human children are delivered via childbirth and not stork. A theist may say, have you observed every childbirth ever performed by humans? Of course not. But we understand the process of how children come about. If someone suggests that a magical, intangible, invisible stork delivered the babies but cannot be falsified, Am I then justified in saying that not all children are born via a natural process? Of course not. The unfalsifiability of the magic stork claim rules it out as a candidate explanation, as it cannot be investigated. Like what's all mind, minds all requiring the structure of the brain to process, and the entire process depends on synapses, chemicals, neurotransmitters, I can confidently reject the idea that mind exists somewhere without a brain until this is shown to be plausible, much less possible. If one of my esteemed opponents wishes to disabuse me of this claim, then all they have to do is show the mind without a brain, and I will certainly soften, soften my stance. Um, as it stands, I'm confident that minds require brains, as I am that children are born through natural processes and not through magic stalks. Um, I don't know how this can be achieved to show this, and that is not my problem. It's up to my opponents to show a brainless mind. Um, and thank you. I'll, I'll wrap it up there. All right. Well, thank you so much for your opening statement there, Mark Reed. Just want to remind everybody here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform uh, hosting debates on science, politics, religion. We hope you feel welcome here. And also, DebateCon 4 is coming up. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas. So check out the crowdfund. Get your tickets in the link below. Uh, Leo, we're going to hand it over to you for your up to six minute introductory statement. Thanks for being here, Leo. Thank you. 
Um, so the the subject of tonight's debate discussion is the case for atheism. So first, let's start with definitions. Uh, I take atheism to be the belief that gods do not exist, and that is the claim that I intend to defend here. I will be presenting a logical argument from evil against God, and for that I need to define what I mean by God. I take the classically theistic definition that most people who believe in God are probably going to hold to, though there are people who don't. Non-classical theists exist. And God, defined by classical theism, at least broadly, there are some specific details debated amongst theologians, but that's not relevant for tonight's discussion. God, under classical theism, is a singular being that is omnipotent, omniscient or all-knowing and morally perfect. And by morally perfect, I just mean that God always seeks to do the best thing he can do. God always seeks to maximize goodness. And by goodness, and when I say goodness, I'm talking about the good that, that comes, the one standard of good that comes from God's nature, because the logical argument from evil is an internal critique. And I take good, the good, to be the action-guiding norm that is good, what is good is that which ought to be done, all things considered. So if God is morally perfect, then God and God always seeks to maximize the good, then God always seeks what's best, which would logically entail that given God's omnipotence, anything that he desires just comes about. God never fails to actualize his desires, which means that if God truly seeks the best, then we live in the best of all possible worlds, except the theist either has to bite the seriously large and very fast-moving bullet and claim that the murder of six million Jews is good, or it seems that we don't live in the best of all possible worlds, a world which everything which occurs is what ought to occur, all things considered, and no things which ought not to occur ever do. That is how I define the best of all possible worlds, the best world, the one that God would make. If this isn't it, then it seems that this specific notion of God does not exist. There are a lot of nuances to this discussion. There's objections like free will, skeptical theism. There's other theodicies that people have developed. I'm willing to talk about those, but for the sake of brevity, I want to keep this simple and to the point and just outline broadly what the contradiction is between the idea of an all-powerful, morally perfect God and things that immediately, intuitively seem very, very evil to us in the world existing. These both cannot obtain at the same time. And so if we go with our immediate intuition that very, very evil things have and continue to happen in the world, like the murder of six million Jews, then it seems that God, as according to classical theism, does not exist. And I'll end there. All right. Thank you for that, Leo. Uh, and uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, we're going to hand the floor over to Arden and Jordan. Uh, for the first time ever, I think, on Modern Day Debate, we have a Christian and a Muslim teaming up uh, against the hard atheists. So, uh, Arden, Jordan, who would like to go first? We should have established this beforehand. He can, he can go. It's fine. Excellent. Arden, the floor is all yours. Yeah, Thanks for being oh, here. It's Aiden, by the way, just to clarify. <laughs> oh, Aiden, so much. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it's in my nature to apologize excessively as a Canadian. But uh, uh, your six-minute <laughs> intro, and the floor is all yours. 
Alrighty, so I wanted to say um, thank you very much to Modern Day Debate for hosting this debate. Um, I'm pretty excited for it because we get to see a positive case made for atheism, which is uh, pretty rare, and I have an immense respect for my interlocutors today for taking up such a challenge. And I'm also pretty excited because I get to try out an argument for God's existence of my own design, which, as it turns out from Mark's uh, opening, it's actually going to end up being pretty relevant. Um, first, I'd like to um, uh, give a little critique of the kind of atheism presented in this debate. So... Mark's argument was that we need to provide an example of a non-physical sort of mind without a brain. Essentially, we would need to prove metaphysical dualism. Uh, I'm perfectly uh, happy to contend that um, metaphysical dualism is absolutely true. Um, but I, again, I would prefer to first take it from the perspective of uh, critiquing a sort of physicalist approach to the mind-body problem. Uh, physicalism as a sort of uh, a metaphysical sort of claim is the idea that, um, well, it could mean two things. One, it could mean that absolutely everything in the universe is uh, made of physical stuff, or it could just mean that minds, it could just apply specifically to the mind-body problem that mind uh, is, is purely physical. Uh, there are several uh, problems with uh, the very, uh, with the physicalism as a, a theory of mind. Um, one of those being that, one, it's uh, very reductionistic. And as a reductionistic framework, it tends to limit its scope for what it's looking for and its ability to explain phenomena that we do observe in the mind. Uh, what that ends up happening because of that is that occasionally we will observe phenomenon that seems to point to perhaps dualism or some sort of non-physicalist explanation for the mind-body problem. But because physicalism is reductionistic, it will simply say, well, that's a mystery. We just don't know and never make an attempt to solve that mystery, essentially, and sort of leave us hanging. Um, an example of such a phenomenon, which I will talk about later in the opening discussion, would be something called terminal lucidity. Terminal lucidity is a phenomenon where essentially the physical structure of the brain is completely damaged, and it can be damaged for whatever reason you like, from dementia to even Huntington's classic brain damage, drug use, you name it. Anything that can damage the mind, um, terminal lucidity could still apply. And what would happen in the case of terminal lucidity is that despite the damaged structure of the brain, let's say that this damaged structure causes memory loss or an inability to speak or any sort of impaired brain function whatsoever, we have observed phenomenon where the structure of the brain is still damaged, or at least we seem to believe it's still damaged. We have every, all evidence points to the fact that it's still damaged, and yet their functionality seems to return moments before death. So, for example, dementia patients all of a sudden, all of a sudden start remembering um, their children's names when they had previously forgotten them. Or maybe they weren't able to walk. My mother's a palliative care nurse, for example. She's actually observed this herself where there was a man who had dementia and he couldn't walk for years. And then moments before he died, he got up, cleaned his whole house and then died. And that's just it. Mm. Now, of course, when it comes to physicalism, um, many physicalist theories have been put forward to explain such a phenomenon and each and every single one of them fails. The like outside of the brain essentially healing rapidly like Deadpool, um, there doesn't seem to be any physical explanation for how the memories can remain and still be accessible when the physical structure doesn't remain. So that seems to point to the idea that there is some sort of immaterial mind at play here. Um, again, that's something I'd like to go further into detail with later. I want to sort of get through it. And as for the problem of evil, that's um, Leophilius put forward. Um, the problem with the problem of evil, I guess, is that we're going to, in order to even have that discussion, we're going to have to come to an agreement on the metaphysical nature of what good and evil actually means. And that's mm -hmm. going to be a very difficult thing because I would argue, for example, that what morality actually is, is that I would argue metaphysically it's dimensional. 
In the same way that you might have a dimension of space and time, you would also have a dimension of morality. And in the same way, like, so it would be like a sort of continuum of like um, good and bad sort of thing. In the same way, you'd have a continuum of left and right on a spatial dimension. Now, of course, in the same way that with space, it doesn't metaphysically make sense to have a right without a left or an up without down. It doesn't make sense for there to be a good without at the very least the potential for evil to exist. It doesn't actually make sense. You actually need one for the other kind of thing. Now, you might disagree with that, and that's fine. It's, you know, This isn't a metaphysical necessity. I could be wrong on my view on um, morality, but that's the point. In order for the problem of evil to hold, it has to be a sort of internal critique of um, the conflict between our metaphysical um, claims about morality, as well as um, you know the evil that should not exist according to those metaphysical claims. But I'm just establishing that, um, you know, first of all, morality has to be objective. Most atheists, I'm not saying this is all atheists, but most atheists would argue that morality is not objective. Um, but obviously within the theistic worldview, it is. So inevitably you're gonna have to ex accept some sort of like a lot of my metaphysical arguments for what morality is and what what the nature of its necessary nature is um in which case um you know because you obviously can't bring uh an outside morality system that doesn't apply to theism to critique the theism to create the problem of evil that would just be a sort of uh useless sort of argument now i'm going to quickly try to give a brief overview of um, my argument for god's existence and i, I call it the argument from a priori knowledge I've never seen this argument done before. It's probably been done before. I'm not that creative or anything, but I've never seen it done before. So here it is. It's not the presuppositional argument, but it is an argument that aims to establish three main points. One, that we have a priori knowledge. And a priori knowledge just means knowledge gained without experience or without empirical experience. So anything that you've learned without the five senses and also for the purposes of this argument without instinct. So genetic instinct is not a priori knowledge for the purposes of this argument. The point number two is that if we have a priori knowledge, it requires a causal explanation for how we got there. Um, and the final point is that that causal explanation is identified as God. I'd like to go into more detail. That's all the time I got. All right. Thank you, Aiden, for your opening statement there. Uh, and also, sorry about the typo. We're going to get that fixed right away. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, thank you also here, uh, Jordan. Uh, it's also your debut here at Modern Day Debate. Up to six minutes to present your case from the Muslim perspective. Thank you for being here, Jordan. Yeah, um, good to be here. Um, so the case that um, the first point that I want to make <clears throat> is that um, not, it's not even just a, it, it's not really a, a Muslim thing. It's just a, a general point that I think um, the framing of these debates, um, I, I think they sometimes go a little bit off the rails, I guess I want to say that, that we end up talking past each other. And I think it's, it, it could be fixed very easily. I think there's a misunderstanding on both sides that it's not really about empiricism or, or factuality. That's not what we're talking about. At least theists, you know, um, it's more about, um, it's called belief for a reason. We believe it. It may not be, um 100 percent empirical or factual but you know belief is, is more um what's at play here um and um so it is true that um 
that, you know, I can't 100% prove that I'm right. I could be wrong. I'm open to that possibility. I'm not so arrogant to the point where I'd say I'm, I'm certain that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Um, but again, it's not a question of, of facts or, um, uh, or empiricism. It's more about, um, uh, faith. It's more about, we call it faith. We call it belief for a reason, you know, that was never, it was never historic. Even when you look back at old, uh, very old religions, that was never the point. The point was, oh, I'm going to uh, one up a person who disagrees with me by presenting facts and evidence for my beliefs. It's like, that's not the point. Again, belief is the point, you know, and it's not like the people who believe those things <clears throat> were stupid. I mean, the people like, for instance, uh, in my religion of Islam, there was a golden age where you had brilliant people who invented things like uh, there was the first steps toward the scientific method you know, the 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 camera was invented by a muslim an early version of it at least um uh there were strides being made in medicine you know um by islamic scientists hindu scientists same thing with astrology and plastic surgery uh and things like that so these are not these were not stupid people they balanced faith and science at the same time. So we, we especially um, in what I would broadly call the West, even though I don't like terms like that necessarily, these people were able to balance faith with um, science and empiricism and logic. And um, they did it um, in a way that was very practical, very balanced. And um, I think that they deserve credit for that. And I think that it's only in the last few hundred years where we've gotten this notion that science is one thing and religion is another. It's like, you know, that, that was not historically the case. And I don't think it's historically the case um, or I think I don't think it's the case today. So that's what I wanted to clarify is I think we're having a, a, we're talking past each other. And I think it's, you know, the framing is wrong. I think what we're, what we're talking about at least from the theistic side, is a question of belief. And as uh, as Aiden said, more about metaphysics than actual material, uh, than actual um, materialism. Uh, I kind of lost my train of thought here, but, but I think we're talking about uh, metaphysics rather than physics and material, uh, uh, material things. So that's pretty much all I have to say. All right. Thank you for your introductory statement there, Jordan and Arden for being here, or Aiden, sorry, for being here. I just fixed the thing, so I'm not going to do that again. There we go. All right. And I'm going to keep cropping that, everybody. So we're going to kick it into our open discussion. Uh, thanks for being here, everybody in the live chat. Hit the like button. Share this out in the spaces where you like to have these discussions. And I just want to remind you that all of our guests are going to be linked in our description. Uh, wherever you can find them, we're going to get those links up. Uh, and uh, those are also going to be included in our podcast so uh, we'll kick it back to the other side to uh, get us into our open discussion thanks again everybody for being here you want to go first mark since you went first in the um, delivery yeah 
Yeah, that, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, I, I would I'd like to focus on sort of the a priori knowledge that you're sort of saying that we have that's not instinct and not sort of in, intuitive things. But what a prior knowledge do humans have that is not taught to them or a product of instinct? What is that? So that's a good question. So I would argue that the concept of, I would guess I would call it the concept of it's a bit abstract, but the concept of therefore, basically, or the ability to interpret in in, in a sense. Um, what I mean by that is, let's let's say, for example, you inductive and a, deductive thinking. I think that's what you uh, mean when you say therefore is like a form of reasoning. Kind of. Um, it's more the ability to learn. Like uh, the example I was about to give is like, how is it that a person comes to learn induction? Like, because most even kids have a sort of intuitive sense of induction by the time that they're born and that could very easily be impressed upon them on an early age let's say but to provide that as well, an example that's not necessarily true babies don't even have object permanence so it means that once an object leaves a baby's sight they basically think it ceases to exist they don't even have the idea that like not let no not induction and not even the idea that something will exist past their their um, immediate sensory perception of it. Yeah, I, I agree. So that's what I meant. Like, um, so like induction would be an example of something that's learned at a very early age. Um, and that, like, so if we were to provide an example, maybe when babies start to observe the uniformity of nature, let's say they say like, oh, you know, I see the sun come up. It happens every day. Therefore, there must be some sort of consistency to nature, right? That's probably how that, sort of... Wouldn't that be empirical learned. knowledge? Because that's learned yeah. through repeated experience. Yeah. I don't think that would be... So like an example of a priori knowledge would be something like that all squares are polygons. That's an example of... You don't need to go out into the world or do any sort of empirical investigating to know that squares are polygons, that all squares are polygons. I suppose something like maybe that all all bachelors are unmarried men could be considered a form of like a, a priori knowledge. Right, but right. Uh, yeah, a priori knowledge is the things that we know largely just through reasoning and not through any form of experience or empirical investigation. But but I'm getting the feeling that that's not what Aiden's talking about when, when he's talking about a priori knowledge. So I, I think he's sort of, are you sort of suggesting that a mind comes equipped with some sort of knowledge that isn't learnt through the material world around them and isn't a product of instinct. Um, well, whether or not this um, it comes equipped at say birth isn't really the important part. It's um, it could be, and it might not. It doesn't have to be. It's possible that it could have um, happened by some other means. But that's kind of what the argument sort of explores. So to sort of return it back to induction, I don't believe induction would be an a priori thing, but our ability to learn induction is. So if we if we take it back to that example of the like seeing the sun come up, that's laid out in the syllogism, right? Premise one, I see the sun come up. That's an empirical proposition. Premise two, I see it come up every day. Also empirical proposition. But then you have the conclusion that follows from that. Therefore, there must be a consistency to nature. That therefore in the sentence, and that's why I mentioned the therefore before, that therefore in the sentence isn't empirical. Nowhere in the above empirical propositions do you actually have that therefore contained in the empirical experience. It's entirely possible that we could have just evolved to be um, purely empirical creatures that only had those two propositions. I see the sun come up. I see it happen every day. There's no need to add that third thing, uniformity of nature. That's something we bring to the table. That's something we do through our capacity for interpretation. It doesn't seem to be included in the empirical experience. Yeah, so and that's I'm what saying I'm that that's learned. 
I'm saying that that's learned because you have like a baby when it's very, very young, when it's newborn, um, it doesn't have that object permanent. So the, the mother walks away, it's vanished. Um, the mother comes back, therefore the mother didn't vanish. No, what happens is the mother walks away again and the baby thinks that they've vanished again, right? So this, yeah, this so isn't they... something that they learn the uniformity of nature as they go along. And one of those things is um, even being self-aware, like we know from scientific studies that the baby for the first, um, I think, week or so of its life, it doesn't have any sense of self. It thinks also it, it doesn't have an identity. It thinks that it and the mother, it, <laughs> he or she or the mother, are the same thing. I don't mean to refer to a baby as it. Like it's, I don't hate kids that much. Like um, you know, um, you know. So so these things are things that are learnt. And yeah, I, I get that that the mind is very um, it adapts and it learns these things sort of outwards. But it's very hard for us to wrap around our heads around the idea that that a baby won't have this idea of self. It thinks that it's the mother, and it won't have this idea that things remain after they leave. It thinks they vanish. Um, these are things that the mind has to learn as it goes along, but it is aided by those instinctual things um, that repeated actions cause the, the synapses to develop these connections, which then connect um, the, the events to one another. I, I will grant you that that's amazing, but I have no reason to think it's anything other than physical formation of synapses through repeated um, observations of empirical data. Uh, so there's also a couple other things here. The first thing is that um, the word therefore is just part of a rule of inference and in logic. It, I mean, I don't find anything particularly impressive about that word. I don't, I guess I'm failing to see. Also, the, the, the argument that you gave, the premise, premise, conclusion, the syllogism could just be simplified to, I observe the sun to rise every day therefore the sun will rise every day. But then you're just immediately gonna run into problems of induction. Because from that statement alone, you can't actually conclude, at least not through any valid rule of inference that I know, that the sun will rise every day in the future. I mean, not that like Hume's problem of induction or other problems of induction, like make it so we can't use induction in its bunk. It just means that it's an unjustified way of inferring things. It, it, it works, we can obviously see that it works, but it is unjustified. But I oh, think I'm um, confident in saying that that brains, uh, minds need brains, as I am confident in saying the sun will rise tomorrow. I think that that's more than reasonable mm -hmm. um, um, inference, given that the amount of and and sort of so you've suggested dualism, but I don't like your 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 the thing that you pointed to for for dualism, the a priori knowledge. It doesn't seem like. Um, that, 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 you know, I, I'm sort of asking for one example of this knowledge, but it doesn't seem like that is, in fact, an example of a, some sort of knowledge that isn't gained as we go along. Well, see, when it comes to, like, because, like, you mentioned that, like, babies don't have object permanence, right? And I did mention right. that induction is learned, so I agree with you there, but how mm. is it possible to learn that without that, therefore? And Leophilius actually made a good point that that idea of induction isn't necessarily properly justified that's true in fact the, the the a prior knowledge i'm talking about could very well be wrong or right for all okay i'm talking about where it causally comes from not whether or not it's has any reference to truth or anything like that um so for all i know god could have put it there to deceive us as far as the argument could i mean i don't think he did obviously 
But um, in terms of like whether or not it establishes dualism or the existence of God or not, um, causally speaking, um, first of all, you have I don't I don't believe you've actually sort of addressed the point where it's like the therefore itself is not actually causally contained. Like there's no empirical impression that can give you that therefore. You use the therefore to interpret the imp the empirical impressions as to come to the conclusion of induction. But in order to use therefore to interpret the empirical impressions, it has to already be there in your head. And let's say, oh, well, maybe you just learn what it means maybe through school or something. You know, your teachers probably tell you the definitions of words all the time. But how are you supposed to look at a, like, let's say somebody's pointing to a chalkboard and saying, therefore, this is what it means. If you don't have that concept already in your head, if you don't have that ability to make those therefore statements, the only way you could learn those therefore statements is if you have the ability to interpret. So like, um, how do you interpret the ability to interpret into your head? Basically, it, it can't really be done. No, no, well, I, I answered mean... that. Like, well, I answered that. Like, you're you're just thinking of the word therefore. What I'm I'm sort of alluding to is the concept of therefore. That when you that's have synapse patterns that are repeated and they become, that's where the therefore comes from. The, the, the synapse being strengthened to say, hey, every time this happens, this is the result. And making that connection in the brain is the therefore. I want right? to get so it's I, the I actually, connection. I want to get Jordan in actually, here, fellas, and uh, yeah, get some of his sorry. thoughts. I also yeah, want to remind sorry. our live chat that we will be having a Q&A at the end of this. Uh, so get your super chats in uh, for your questions on our debate, uh, which is uh, the case for hard atheism, essentially, is what we're doing. So, Jordan, uh, the floor is yours. Um, yeah, uh, I don't really know where to start, <laughs> but... Um, uh, I mean, you know, I I don't necessarily agree with um with a priori arguments, but um but I I understand what Aiden's saying. I I get it, but I I also you know uh, uh, agree with some of uh, the points uh, that are opponents are making it's, it's it's a fair question um i think um the what i would ask is why um is it not conceivable like i i guess what i'm trying to understand is why does it have to be either or um um like either god did something or he didn't why, why can't it be a mixture of both where um where well because that would be just impossible that would just be a contradiction to say that any agent both does something and does not do the same thing in the same sense at the same time would be just an explicit contradiction and really if we're talking atheism we're talking about does a god exist so in order for it to be true and not true you would have to say a god both exists and doesn't exist so that's a sort of whether God exists or does not exist is a true dichotomy. It either is true or it's not true. It can't really be a mixture of both. Well, I think I apologize. What I meant was um, you were talking something about um, you were you, you mentioned something mad about the uh, like some sort of synapse Mark. process or something like that. Um, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so so basically what's under discussion is I think that the mind is entirely dependent on the brain. I think it's all physical, it's all neurosynapses and chemicals and things like that. Um, what mm -hmm. Aiden is is proffering is the idea of mind-body dualism, that the mind exists in somehow independently of the brain and has some sort of um um while it relies on the brain to maybe express itself and i don't want to put words into your mouth aiden but i, I do want to explain the difference um that that maybe the mind needs to be expressed through the brain but it sort of has its own um identity in some way that is not dependent on a physical structure mm -hmm. is that what you're saying yeah aiden? okay yeah okay um because i i guess you know i i just don't see um how it's mutually um exclusive that um a god could have created beings that are capable of the process you're talking about and that process going on you know i, I just don't see why those things are mutually exclusive you know i, I like it, it you know i know you right. don't believe it i'm just saying that yeah. from my point of view i don't see a logical contradiction I, I i just i think that's a false dichotomy is what i'm saying well um in my presentation as i said i don't think it's impossible that there's a god but mm -hmm. what the claim to me being presented is that um there is an unfalsifiable deity that um basically has a mind but does not have a physical brain and what i'm saying is that that entailment from what i understand of how minds work and their dependence on a brain, um, I, I don't see how that is possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. I would just, mm. um, I would need, it, it really rules out the idea of a God for me because as far mm. as I know, and this is my belief and, and a justified belief, so I claim as far as I know, minds need brains. That's it. Sorry, Jordan, you go first. Go yeah um i don't really think god um has a mind in the way that living creatures like physical creatures do i don't think god necessarily has I, does I god think... have desires does god desire things um I mean, there's it's things possible. God wants, isn't it's there? I would imagine there's things God wants. Like, yeah. doesn't God want everybody to be saved, whatever that means in whatever particular religion? And um, does God make or, choices? Can can yeah. God choose between one option and another option? Yeah, that's another good yes, question. Um, can God make choices? Yes. Um, can God act with intention? Yes, um, but again. So then, what, what what do you mean when you say he's not a mind? That seems exactly like a mind. He's he's got desires. He acts with intention. I would presume God has emotions. He probably behaves normatively. That means that like he does what he thinks he should based on the evaluation of his standards. Um, I would presume God does all those things. That's what a mind is. Right. I I, I get. But what I'm saying is not. I guess what I should have said is I don't think he has a brain, you know, I think that, that. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess we agree on that then. 
Yeah, well, but that's a, the argument is that Mark is no. saying if he doesn't have a brain, given that the only minds he's seen that we've ever observed ever have brains, it's very, very unlikely that there are minds that don't have brains. And so therefore, if God is a mind without a brain, if he's an immaterial mind, then it is very, very um, likely that God does not exist. But I'm saying you're thinking of it in material terms. If God is immaterial, then you can't ascribe material properties to him that he yeah, but desires have. aren't material properties desires but can brains be granted are, not, but brains intention are sort of, and normativity are sometimes considered not ahead, natural David, properties as well i i just got a, a bit of a question for the atheist so you, if you're approaching this from the perspective of physicalism in terms of a theory of mind then ultimately on a metaphysical level you can't actually tell the difference between a physical process just an ordinary physical process and a a living thing fundamentally speaking living things are just physical processes they're basically the same thing there might be different types yeah. and different levels of complexity but ultimately they're just they're pretty much the same thing so then do you have a living thing that's not a physical process well it doesn't matter even if i didn't but I, i'm trying to what i'm trying to say here mark is that when you talked about falsifiability at the beginning of your speech you're kind of biting yourself in the tail here because it sort of becomes unfalsifiable as to whether or not the beginning of the universe is a separate thing um, uh, from the outset, because it's like if the beginning of the universe was a mind like or like a, a consciousness, let's say, even if it's physical, like you and me, then well, Mark, we Mark, what about air? You can't see air, but it exists. Well, we can physically we can detect it. it. Yeah. So, we so when we're talking it. about empirical observations and, and sort of unfalsifiability, we can we can make like you can yeah, falsify agree. whether there's air somewhere. Yeah, sure. So, but what you're talking about an immaterial, invisible, undetectable mind, which isn't falsifiable at the moment. And and my challenge to you would would be to come up with some way to falsify it. Um, uh, just like we have these physical processes, and you might say, and and my example was that if you have, I don't you know, think I you say, have to hey, falsify well, beliefs. That's me, my point. Let me. I don't think you have to falsify beliefs. You know. You, well, that's you, why I would you, disagree with you, Jordan. I do think I, I I actually agree with Mark that a certain level of falsifiability on both sides is kind of needed. Um, uh, again, like where this debate is the you know hard case for atheism. So right. 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 Yeah. And so do yeah, we. And, and I think yeah. I think, you know, I, I get what you're saying that beliefs, you know, like you're not making a knowledge claim. It's just a belief. And that that that's fine. Right. You know, but at some point you have to acknowledge that you have a belief with no justification behind it. And I did want to go on at some point to how like if we have two contradictory beliefs, like I believe there is no God and you believe there is a God. Mm -hmm. How do we tell who's right? And how do we tell, how, you know, and, and the whole I've also agreed of, with you at some parts of this, uh, of this debate. I've agreed sure. with you at some parts. Yeah. Sure. I mean, most people will agree on some things. Like most people in this world will agree on commonalities. That's not mm -hmm. a surprise. Um, it's just like when we're talking about epistemology, we're talking about how do you know that what your beliefs are is, is actually true ontologically? Like, so, so in reality, right, are in right. fact, true or metaphysically true. And so if if I have a, a sort of what I want to do is have a good, reasonable justification for why what I believe is true or likely true is the best way to go through life. Um, and for that, you need you need a process to show that what you believe can, in fact, be falsified. 
because while due to what Leo was saying, the problem induction, we can't always rely on induction to show that something is true. We can mm. definitely falsify things by finding the exception, right? So, so it was mm. like if um, uh, somebody sort of says, "Hey, I, I know that childbirth is a natural process that that is, you know, done all this," and someone says, "Hey, there's a magical stalk that delivers it." Well, right. it's unfalsifiable because it's an right. immaterial, invisible, magical stalk that, and and you've never checked every single time someone's birthed a child. So how can you say that the stalk doesn't exist? Well, it's because of the understanding the process and the billions of times that we've had births, we've never observed a stalk. Um, I mm -hmm. think you know to say, hey, then I have a high level of confidence that that's a natural process. Um, if if you do have a, an example of a mind without a brain, I would certainly soften my position to agnostic or, you know, sort of soft atheism, depending on how you're using the terms. But I think mm -hmm. that, you know, with, with understanding the process of how Well, if you want a material and... example, jellyfish. Okay. Jellyfish don't have What's brains, but they have minds. No, they don't well, have they brains do. and they it don't have minds. It depends on what you mean by brain, because they do have sets of neurons. So I mean, it 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 just comes down yeah. to what we mean by brain. What what humans generally mean by brain? No, uh, jellyfish don't have them, but they do have neurons. So yeah. Mark, how would you so, how would you define brain well, then? Let's let's go from yeah. There. So so the complexity of the mind seems to be dependent on the complexity of the brain. So something like a jellyfish, which has neural receptors and and uh, neural pathways, generally they will just be able to react instinctively just like plants react instinctively based upon a set of parameters. They will always react in the same way. What I'm talking about with a mind is being an agent, an ability to make conscious decisions of the actions being performed. Because mm -hmm. while a jellyfish doesn't have a brain, it can't seem to consciously decide to do things It will always respond to the same stimuli in exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I wouldn't define a a something that is just reacting to the stimuli like a bacteria or something like that as having a mind i think that would be a higher level of mm -hmm. consciousness mm -hmm. yeah that's another good example yeah that's another uh i probably should have gone with that one <laughs> uh the bacteria so, example <laughs> with with the sort of going back to the immaterial mind you mentioned that the capacity to make decisions right um yeah. Wouldn't under physicalism that not necessarily come through, or is I guess I guess would I would have to ask the question: Is free will a sort of emergent property, or do you guys not believe in free will? Because like, that's, that's I'm kind of a that too. I'm a compatibilist, yeah. so what I would say is yeah. that you can have free will. What the word I would prefer to use is volition, which is the ability to make choices despite things being deterministic. In fact. I don't know what it would mean to engage in decision-making from literally zero prior information or prior factors mm -hmm. or anything like that. Any With literally zero antecedent causes, antecedent mm -hmm. factors or considerations, I don't know what decision-making is. And I'm this is one of the problems with, with uh, libertarian free will is the idea that libertarian free will, they, people often say, well, the reasons are reasons are the, the source of our choices but why that reason versus another reason you can just ask the why question right. and it either goes back at infinitum or it stops someplace at which point all decisions you ever make just become arbitrary 
So I, I, the whole concept of decision-making, I would say needs something physical. You need something like time, a past, an ability to record that past, the ability to understand what's going on around you. You need some sort of, um, um, what's the term? Um, few, not uh, like some sort of predictive capability, yeah. the ability to like, plan ahead of, of forward yeah, consequences all yeah. of these things to make decisions and i don't know how one has that without like physical systems and processes and functions taking place well, nor have i ever I seen know. an example of it i don't know how you have that with physical systems um I, I don't want to get too much into a discussion of free will but in terms of whether or not um uh you know in purely physical processes can give you those predictive things this is i, I don't see that necessarily um emerging from physical processes. Um, well, I, uh, I choose so vanilla ice cream because I like it better than chocolate mm -hmm. because of my, my ability to taste, which is a physical thing. If you cut out your tongue, you will not taste things because it's physical. Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 that's the reason why. And so I base on, based on the fact that I like vanilla ice cream, that's what I will choose over chocolate, at least most right. of the time, because I do still like chocolate ice cream. I just like mm -hmm. vanilla more. So that's yeah. an antecedent yeah, fact. But I, I, I but have you to might have like have admit, green tea I, ice, I'm, I'm, ice cream. You might have green tea ice cream cross you and you've never had it before and decide to go with that one based upon the fact that you haven't had it before. Mm -hmm. But that decision may be based upon what you think the taste will be, not and actually. Those are two different decisions. But two I, different I, decisions, I, both with antecedent factors. All right, let's let Jordan I have in to here. admit, um, but I have to admit, um, I'm a compatibilist too. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that perspective. Yeah. Just wanted to say that. Okay. Right on. There's actually a lot of theists I know, particularly in the New Age, uh, that are that are compatibilists. And I even know yeah. a decent amount that are physicalists as well mm -hmm. with respect I, to I, I think that I, I think that the hard determinists do, just just to sort of, you know, sort of um address what you're saying, Aiden. I, I think that the hard determinists do have points that there are a number of leading factors that may go into what that decision is. But I'm not entirely convinced of that. I do see what they're getting at, but um, I, I don't know how we could falsify free will or determinism at all. That That's mm -hmm. the problem. Like anything that you decide to choose to disprove determinism, you could say it's determined. So it seems, again, to fit into that category of unfalsifiability to me, which means that it's not really even a meaningful question to ask. Um, it seems like even if we do not have free will, we have the illusion of free will, and it seems entirely we entirely dependent on this illusion of free will to function. So, um, you know, it may be they may may be correct um, that that you know everything is determined by priors, but I I don't believe that, and I, I don't know how you could prove that. Yeah, obviously, I don't want to get too much into the free will side of things, but I, it sort of okay. came back to um, uh, something you mentioned before, Mark, where you mentioned that this belief, like, let's use the ice cream example. I believe that because I've eaten ice cream before, next time I taste it, I'm going to enjoy it. That's obviously, right. once again, something that's built upon induction. Um, mm -hmm. You made the argument that, um, that that's just a sort of habit of like the synapses being reinforced over and over again. But sure. I would argue that unless that induction is contained causally within the empirical propositions, you don't have that causality reinforcing those, um, uh, you know, those um, uh, those synapses to have those kinds of thoughts. 
the habits that you would form would just be, for example, I've eaten ice cream. And so then the next time you eat ice cream, you'll be like, yep, that's ice cream. That's what I've eaten before. You'll have the memory, but you'll never have that predictive inductive ability to predict that's in the just, future of like, oh, that's just the way the brain works. That's, that's what it does. Ah, it is a, it I, is a, I don't think a, we can, well, just, just let me finish. It is a, a Sorry, prediction okay. machine. That's what it does. It, it, it fires the, the neurons and it strengthens the synapses based upon how often that synapse is used. So it will let others wither that's not used. That's why addiction is so particularly difficult to beat. It's because that synapse is strengthened and strengthened and strengthened until it is the normal response of that person because the uh, whatever they're, they're feeling can be overcome by whatever it is that they're doing. Um, sort of, so, so you're sort of just saying, well, nothing says that that synapse has to be strength. Correct. But that's how the, that, that is, that is literally how the brain works. It sounds, it sounds, that's the thing. You're just sort of saying now it's like, well, that's just how it works. No further yeah. questions to be asked. Uh, I, that's, I you're basically like invoking well, a brute fact here. You don't, you haven't actually no. given a causal explanation. Right. Yeah. I agree. Well, if you, I agree. If you're no. saying that, well, yeah. Cause it's if not, you're saying, it's well, not that's a brute just how it works. Fact. I mean, I'm sure a neurologist can explain to you how the actual neurons are fired and how that strengthens the synapses, but I'm not a neurologist, you know, but they but, have an explanation as to why the brain works as it works. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of unknowns and a lot of questions there, right? There's a, definitely a lot of unknowns, but, you know, we understand why these, these, um, this, this, um, physical process of developing these connections occurs and why if the connection occurs um, and the more it occurs, the more it is likely to be repeated. That's not sort of something we don't understand. It, I'm not saying the case of brute facts. Well, well, I'm not is, sure what you're the getting question, at though. then. Well, because if you're saying we understand how the processes are purely physical because the synapses behave in a certain way, and yet yeah. you can't explain certain phenomenon that is going on, and it seems to require something that's a little bit more non-physical. Just saying, we understand that the synapses do the physical thing, and it's purely physical. Pay no attention to anything immaterial going on behind the curtain. But then you'll just no, yeah. Well, you haven't you haven't demonstrated that to be non-physical. You've just said, hey, because you don't understand it, I'm going to insert into this gap something non-physical. Because in the past, we didn't even understand how synapses work. And in fact, most of the, I, I believe in the past, some people thought that the thinking was done in the heart because that's where you feel it. So that's to right. say that back in the past, when we didn't understand this, then the, the synapses and the, the neural connections must have been non-physical. No, we just didn't understand it. You're Can doing I... a sort of God of the gaps fallacy where you're sort of saying, hey, because we don't understand it, I get to insert that it's something material. No, you've got to show that. No, I actually think you're doing that actual God of the gaps fallacy because what you're doing here, you can only make that argument you're making from assuming that physicalism is the default worldview. I was going to say really you're assertive. doing the reverse. Yeah. Uh, so I don't you're know saying how. You're I saying don't that. See how either. Let's you're let saying that, that physicalism. Well, yeah. Let me explain it. You're saying that physicalism explains the mind. And then there's, we have something that physicalism can't explain. And you'll say, well, yeah, of course, physicalism explains it. It explains everything. We just, you know, it, it I just think does. That's Mark's you know? argument. Anyway, I, I, can I ask a question that yeah, takes us on a different well, track? I, it's the same Just, just topic. before you do that, Leo, can I just address that for one second? Just hold your question there, Leo. Yeah, I think okay. So, so we both agree that the physical world exists, and we both agree that brains exist, and they do these things to learn. You're yeah. suggesting something above and beyond that physical world. 
I'm not. I'm just saying, hey, we're aware of these physical things. And it could well be the case that it's nothing physical. I'm not saying it can't be non-physical. What I'm saying is for me to believe it's non-physical past what we already understand, you've got to show this non-physical thing. And I don't know how you do that, but that's not my problem. I'm not the one claiming that there's something non-physical. That's why well, I'm not doing you're, God of the Gaps. You're, you're I'm doing not this claiming the... that it's only I, I, physical. Yeah, I, I don't want to do, because again, Leo wanted to say what he wanted to say, but you're doing this yep. from the, first of all, empiricist perspective that takes this almost axiomatically. The thing is, again, is that yeah, I would argue. I, like I said, it's not about empiricism. This is not what what religious faith and belief is supposed to be about. It's not. Well, I'm not saying it's faith that. either. I'm, I, I would argue that from a rationalist perspective, there are certain images. I think in order to have this discussion, we actually have to have uh, maybe a bit more of a talk about how we define physical and how we define immaterial. Because when I say immaterial, I get the sense that you, maybe you think I'm talking about wispy sort of ghosts and, or something like that. Um, when I say physical, I simply mean that which is verifiable through the five senses. Um, so like the, oh. the reason why I know um, this water bottle, for example, is physical is because I can touch it. And I can see it, I can taste it, or whatever, and all that sort of stuff. Is it momentum is physical, physical? I would say no. Okay. Again, this is a I wonder why it's. <laughs> I wonder why it's a number in like almost every important physical equation. If it's yeah, not I, a physical, I would. I would argue numbers aren't physical either. Well, no, I'm not talking yeah. about the numbers. I'm talking about what the numbers represent. Is mass? Physical? Yeah, I would. Uh, mass, yeah, would be physical. Mass is something. Yeah, but you can't detect it with the five senses. Right. You can measure it and. Yeah, I but not with the five senses. Yeah, not with your five senses. Same, same with momentum. You can't like hold momentum in your hand. You well, can't yeah, exactly. see momentum. It's exactly. It's, it's you a, can't hold momentum in your hand. Is a black hole physical? Well, what, what I was doing was challenging the way that you define physical is what we like can, if, well, with our senses. Again, it's not really what most metaphysicians yeah. that I know would mean by physical. Now, physical is a, there, there isn't like one univocal definition of it. Metaphysicians yeah. have debated for a long time over what physical means. That being said, two things. Number one, I think that physical can be defined. And number two, I still think everybody kind of has an idea of what we mean by physical and then non-physical, even if we don't have a rigorous definition. Now, for me personally, I, think we need a rigorous definition. I would, I, think I, would, I don't think we do. I, I don't know many yes, philosophers who think that we do. Um, but I personally would define something's physical. I take physical and natural to just be synonymous myself. I know there's people that don't agree yeah. with that. It's just on them to give an argument for why. But I take those terms to be synonymous. Something is physical. If it's natural, it's natural. It's physical. It's, there's just an equal sign between those. And so what I mean by those terms, I would say, is something that is characterizable by objectively definable degrees of freedom. And degrees of freedom are going to be parameters that um, can characterize uh, a system or a state. So if you can use numbers to characterize a system or a state in ways where everybody that characterizes it gets the same thing, you're dealing with something that is physical or natural. Or if you can observe okay. the effects and then sort of, you know, observe the effects of it are physical, then the um, cause is physical as well. That we can establish that black holes we cannot sense with any of our five senses, but we can observe the effects of a black hole. Can I ask so, the question I wanted to... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say that um, in terms of um, the the idea that we don't need a rigorous definition of physical in order to have this discussion, if you're going to say that everything is physical and then on the basis of that, deny mind-body dualism, deny 
you know, um, the existence of God, et cetera, et cetera. I think we probably do need a bit of a, like a rigorous definition. Um, in terms of like, um, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to go into this because I want uh, Leah to be able to ask this question, but I think that's, um, yeah, uh, in terms of um, like, because if we just assume that, for example, momentum is just physical, because it, it it causes the effects that we can observe, like it can cause physical effects that we can detect, and therefore that means the thing is physical itself. That does not follow, and it, it means that you take it axiomatically almost that immaterial things can't cause material effects. When well, I'm how would they do that? Argument. What's the connection between the immaterial? And this is actually goes to my the question I was going to ask you guys, okay. is why cannot my mind affect your body causally i mean if it's immaterial it's not then that means that it's not rooted in me why why can't i raise your hand why can i only ever why can we only ever raise our own hands well again this comes down to our definitions of what immaterial means because i would argue once again numbers are immaterial if i have two marbles in my hand that number I mean, I two is, is only contained to those two marbles that number two isn't affecting something else that's a that's a, a, a pile of three marbles let's say right um right. that's like the the, the but way it sounds like you're talking about something abstract at all yeah well, it's not affecting it, it, the marbles it, it, at all like the two yeah it sounds no like you're talking about an abstract properties of the marbles. I'm, I'm merely giving i'm merely giving an example it's, it's yeah but the thing is is that your examples like numbers are abstract and the thing with the difference between yeah. abstract and concrete is abstracta do not stand in causal relations so if the mind is abstract then it doesn't cause anything in the physical body I, I would strongly disagree with that. I, I would actually, um, but, so the but, idea but that's that actually how it's defined in analytic philosophy. Like I'm not making well, this up. Analytic, abstract are things that do not stand in causal relations, concrete. And this is why theists will argue that God is immaterial, but concrete like William Lane Craig, because he believes that God caused the universe to come into existence. Abstracta right. do not stand in causal relations. That's what well, it means argue, to be abstract. Well, then I disagree with the, formal logic whatever is definition of abstract because think about it for example if you have thoughts in your head like for example the idea of the number two and it has no causal connections that means that we are aware of the existence of things which disobey the laws of causality which i don't believe is true but let's take the idea of the number two in your head as whether or not physicalism or immaterialism is true doesn't matter it is still true in either sense that the number two in your head like when you think of it when you, you picture it in your head the number to, you know, in an abstract sort of sense, that obeys causal factors. Your brain is burning calories for you to have that thought. Your um, mind, you know, probably, um, you know, because I wouldn't call it a pure a priori um, concept. You probably learned it at some point and there's a causal connection there. You can't have a purely abstract thing which obeys no causal reality because then that means our mind's able to create things out of nothing. Which violates the yeah. most basic laws of conservation. But if the mind of, is abstract, kind of, then it hang doesn't on a second, cause hang on. You're, you're kind of mistaking the the map for the place kind of thing, right? So when we're talking about concepts, they don't exist. Now the thought may exist as sort of electrical signals in your brain or sort of synapses firing in your brain. That is true, but that's not the concept of the number two. It's like if you say, hey, that video game character doesn't exist. It's just an abstraction kind of thing, right? It doesn't actually exist. But the the data on somewhere is actually electrical signals, which does exist. So you're confusing the thing itself 
for the concept. And and the no, concept I, of two isn't abstract. It doesn't exist, even though the thought may exist. So I would argue that in terms of a causal, so like obviously the idea of the um, video game character didn't come out of nothing. Um, it, it was, you know, maybe they, they would have had to have thought about it. There would have been some causal process going on there. I would argue you're making an arbitrary distinction between the idea of the concept and the thought itself. Thoughts and concepts are the same the same thing. I don't know what well, distinction you're making. I'm, I'm not saying that brains can't cause abstracta. I, I'm certainly saying that brains can give rise to abstracta. What I'm saying is the abstracta themselves don't stand... Like, if I imagine me pushing a boulder as an abstract thought, it, the boulder doesn't move. It has no causal relation. It can't affect anything. All it does is you imagining that. But you imagining that in your head is having a causal effect in in terms of the whatever processes are going on in your head. So, no, for example, with the video game character. Okay, so your thoughts are able to just act uncausally. I thought you said can, that you don't I, believe. Can I ask a quick question that might help clear yes, some of this? Up? Well, I was gonna yes, say, sure. Jordan had a question. Jordan, if you can hold your question for one second, we'll let Leo I ask. Did, his, I didn't his... have a question. Oh, I thought you said you had a question. Sorry, Leo, go ahead. Um, can blue cause anything? And I don't mean an object that, or any sort of object that is blue, can blue cause anything? And if so, what? Well, if we're taking blue to mean the um the movement of like a light particle no. vibrating at a certain frequency, no, that's a photon moving. I'm talking about no, the blue. Photon, no, the the movement itself is the blue. The photon. No, no, what are you talking about? No, the no, no that concept. The concept blue. Like, like blueness, can have. blueness cause anything? Can heaviness cause anything? Can the number 154 <laughs> cause anything? These things don't cause stuff to happen. It they might be related to, to physical things, like blue is a particular frequency of electromagnetic radiation that we interpret in a particular phenomenal way. But the concept that we attach to it, blueness, doesn't cause anything. It's a concept. Your question is still ironically enough begging the question because you keep saying we are what question am i begging it. you're saying well what what is the difference between the concept that we attach to blue and the thing blue itself right the the photon that's moving i'm saying there's no difference between the two, um well the difference is the concept includes all shades of blue but any one shade of blue does not include all shades of blue so the concept of blueness could apply to the blue on my mouse, which is different than the blue of my lighter, which is different than the blue of the Bud Light, which is different than the blue of this pen. And there's a variety of other blue objects I could grab and none of them have the yeah. same shade of blue. So yeah. the blue, they all possess the same blueness though, the concept I'm, of blue. What does that I'm a cause? Bit more nominalist. I'm a bit, I'm a little bit more I am a nominalist as well. Um, I'm not nominalist in the sense that there's, well, I guess I suppose I would say there's no abstracts depending on how you're defining abstracts. But I'm saying that this blueness that you're talking about is merely a, a, a sort of language game that you're playing. And yes, so there's no extra, but that means, yes, but then that means, no, there's no extra concept. You're just, at, there's no extra concept. There is only the thought you have of blue. and there's a course of the list. I, Well, depending on how you're defining concept. I think thoughts exist, but not concepts. So if that's how you're defining concepts. Well, I, I would say that divide... concepts are a mental construct. Mm. Made of what? Nothing? Well, they're not made of anything. They emerge exactly. out of a variety of neurophysiological processes. I'm saying that those neuro... Kind of like neuro my picture on the screen. Oh, we're going around in circles. Not now. really physical, but it, it's... You've got photons and electrons and wires and the computer, like... 
all the the processes of all of the physical stuff give rise to my image on the screen but my image on the screen doesn't weigh anything you can't hold it in your hand it's not really physical but it emerges out of a bunch of physical things doing some processes yeah. like concepts the are the same yeah. yeah yeah well first of all yeah. that seems to concede my de definition of physicalism because you said you can't weigh the picture so that i, I don't know if that's sort of conceded there but also and you can't you weigh can, gravity but that's physical you can measure gravity you can measure the yeah, you can't weigh it well, technically, I, if gravity is a wave, I would argue that it's probably not physical. Then, depending on how gravity can form as waves, but 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 you seem to be arguing that sort of abstract um, uh, concepts are in some way real. So, if I come up with an abstract concept of a a you know this this uh, magical baby delivering stork, that in some way that is real. Um, or has a real presence in our reality rather than just being an abstract concept in my mind, a construction, if you will, of the mind. That, that's not exactly what I'm arguing. So I want to sort of unpack that a little bit. Let's take the example well, of the stork. Um, well, so yeah, okay. I would argue that the, the stork itself, you've never had any experience of the stork. So no empirical experience gave you the idea of that stork. However, what your brain has done is remixed ideas in your head. And, and combine them together to make what is appears new, but ultimately its building blocks are ultimately stuff you've already experienced. So you've already experienced a stalk, for example. Maybe you've seen one in real life or you've seen a picture or you've heard someone describe it to you. Um, so that you've got the stalk and you've, you're aware of the concept of babies. You're aware that maybe stalks carry things. You're, you're bringing these concepts together and mix mashing them, but you're not inventing a new thing completely out of nothing. You're taking what you already know and mashing it together. That's what I'm saying that our brains do. We can't actually invent entirely spontaneous thoughts that have absolutely no reference to substance, only less reference to substance. So let, let's, let's, let's say a unicorn, for example. I don't think unicorns exist. I've never experienced it. I don't believe that there is any substantive unicorn out there. But the question is not really whether the unicorn exists, it's whether it exists as a thought in my head or if there's any reference to substance out there. So if there's an actual like something that yeah. I can touch and grab and et cetera, et cetera, that means it possesses substances, right? Yeah. Of like, you know, extension and reality and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So all you're um, doing not, is not, describing not the difference between an abstract and a concrete. So you're just basically saying a unicorn is not concrete. But I could I could leverage the same thing against a god and say, hey, you've seen beings before you've seen more powerful beings than other ones some person is stronger than another that is not a logical chain to go hey if you imagine the most powerful being that could ever exist that is not an original thought either well i, I would agree i wouldn't make that argument for god in fact i would say that um it's possible that it could just be personality or or, or uh, you know a person we've had experience of people experience of weather put them together and yeah you could probably get a god but let's try to apply that exact same kind of building block sort of theory, like I said, to the concept of therefore, what building blocks do you make in order to get that concept? I'm, I'm not sure what you're asking. So so if you're talking about sort of the way that, that brains do induction, as I've explained before, no, um, repeated induction. circumstance, induction. Not induction. It's, it's the ability to interpret. So whether it, it leads you to a conclusion of induction or deduction or any other conclusion, where does that therefore come in? Well, you, you, and, you seem and, to and just be, we... well, you seem to just be pointing to basic sort of very, very simplistic um, cause and effect things like that. If I'm 
you know, if a, if a dog has a Pavlovian response, if every time it rings a bell, it gets a treat, um, then it will start ringing the bell um, because it hopes to get a treat. It seems like you're sort of asking about the very basic psychology and, and sort of neurology of human humans and other animals for that matter. It's not quite like that because the idea that maybe Why therefore not? might, well, I'm about to explain it. The idea that therefore might arise out of causality is to ascribe it a different kind of therefore. Like it's, it's a pain in the ass that we have, um, you know, two different ideas for the same thing, but um, same sort of word, but I'm talking about a different kind of therefore. If I have one billiard ball bump into another and therefore the billiard ball moves, that's causality, but that's a different kind of therefore because there's no interpretive. The, the billiard ball is not interpreting and, and coming to a conclusion that it therefore must roll. It just does, not because of some sort of interpretive framework or a conclusion that it's well, that's just through. a billiard ball following laws like just conservation exactly. of momentum I'm... and things like that and then you've got but friction you can... heat transfer all sorts of things but you can make a trick shot by being very experienced with you know repeated time and time again of hitting a ball and seeing how it behaves and so when you say well, you might as well ask well i'm not saying the billiard ball does that i'm saying you do that you pay so attention and the more you pay attention to how it reacts the better you will be at predicting where that ball will go through repeated actions. So you may as well ask, how does a dog know that when it rings a bell, it's going to get a Pavlovian treat? It's because of repeated experiences of doing that and getting it. And that is literally how the mind works. You keep asking where this therefore comes from, but you might as well ask, where, where does the therefore come from in a dog? What does that, that question that even mean? I don't know. Therefore, the just again. indicates the consequent following from some set of premises under a rule of inference. Like it's just an abstraction that we came up with one day when we started to develop formal and axiomatized logical systems of thought. I, I'm just very, okay. very confused. Let, let's say that we came up with it. Again. Let's, if, let's if we came yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. We are. Yeah. It, it's, it's weird because I don't think he's talking about therefore like, like uh, in logic. I think he's talking about where does the idea in uh, for causal relations come from no that's it, it's okay so, well then i don't understand right. well let, let's let's uh, all right let's let's move on from this topic i might come yeah back around i think to jordan it, uh, jordan okay. was trying to inject okay. there at one point yeah. uh jordan uh, bring us back to our atheist theism debate here uh right i thoughts. was gonna say there's there's this is not the point of what we're here to discuss you know mm -hmm. um you know we weren't we we're not here to debate physics and gravity and all, all that stuff and and, and you know uh, and the um you know abstraction okay. versus concreteness of numbers and stuff like that that's not what we're here to to debate we're you know my case my personal case and obviously um uh aiden and i have slightly different um uh opinions on or slightly different goals i guess um but my case is that I don't see why a belief, if I'm not, if I'm not making a positive assertion, and I, I know you are, I'm just saying, if yeah. I'm not making a positive assertion that I know God exists, why is the mm -hmm. burden of proof on me to prove? I don't think it has that, been that that God right. exists when you know, be, be, or, or why is the burden? On, on me to make a falsifiable claim when I'm just stating what I believe 
you know, I, I just don't see why a belief has to be necessarily falsifiable. Okay. Uh, that's the, my so interpretation. They don't have to of, be of what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, you can you can believe anything for any reason. That that's fine. Um, what we're doing is sort of saying, well, if we have two conflicting beliefs, what is the most reliable way to find out which of them in actuality is true? And you sort of mentioned faith as as a reason kind of thing, and and that's fine. You know, like I'm mm -hmm. not saying you can't believe or disbelieve anything, um, mm -hmm. but what I am saying is that. Um, um, I don't think faith, or at least the faith that I'm aware of, I, I really should ask your definition of faith, actually, Jordan, because that can okay. differ depending on who you talk to. But I don't think mm -hmm. that's a very good way to reason to believe things. And I'd like to know why you think faith is more likely to get you to the truth than, say, evidence and empiricism. Um, well... Well, just to be, uh, just to remind, uh, we are going to have a Q and A. We got about fifteen, well, ten to fifteen more minutes of conversation. So, uh, Mark Reed has asked okay. the question. Let, let me just answer his question because I haven't gotten as much time to speak as any as the others. But, yeah, for um, sure. I was going to say I definitely want to uh, pass it back to you. the uh, The question yeah. that he asked first was for your definition of faith, and then right, uh, right. the application yeah. of that in your life. So, uh, we'll let right. you answer that uh, definition first. Um. So for me, I guess this is going, this is going to sound kind of corny, I guess, but like, I guess I separate factual truth from spiritual truth. I think those are two different things, you know? Um, uh, so I think that um, you can have uh I think spiritual truth is more about what is that? Uh, what is spiritual truth? How does it differ from empirical truth? Or factual truth? It's more about. Um, but that's a tautology. The truth is factual. So saying factual truth. Well, let's so let him answer the, the truthiest first, truth. The, the, let's let him answer yeah. the first question there uh, before we move on. Okay, so. Um, what I meant is empiricism. That's what I meant. So I should have clarified that. You're right. Um, uh, so spiritual truth is more about um, the contemplating the nature of existence or creation if there is a creator you know like i said i'm perfectly um i'm not gonna lie to you or be dishonest like you mentioned william lane craig earlier you know i'm not gonna make disingenuous arguments um which i think he does you know to you know they don't try to try to one up you know the other side um i'm perfectly open to the possibility that i'm wrong you know but i believe it uh, i i have my beliefs and my convictions um, uh, because it's what I choose, um, to believe. And I don't really see the harm on that because I don't enforce my beliefs on other people. It's a very personal, um, thing for me. Um, and, uh, it does, I'll admit it does provide some, some comfort to me that I do use it for those reasons, but also, um, to try and explain some sort of, um, metaphysical concepts, you know, um, there is that as well 
Um, so spiritual truth is more about the essence of existence and, you know, getting at the heart of, Hey, why are we here? What are we doing here? You know, um, I don't, you know, I, I apply many schools of thought when, uh, when searching for those answers. Um, um, and then, you know, the particular school of thought, uh, within Islam that I, identify with the most is Sufism, which, which is very, very, um, focused on, um, uh, employing different schools of thought in various religions, various, um, uh, philosophies, um, incorporating that into their faith. Um, so that's what appealed to me about it. So, um, so that's what spiritual truth means. Now, empiricism is what you guys are talking about is more focused on material things and, and, uh, sort of, okay, I can concretely prove A, B, C, D, you know. Um, so, but I think that we can, I, I, I think that there is a way to believe something, or sorry, uh, Mike slipped a little bit there. I think there's a, a concrete, there, there's a way to prove, um, th there's a way to believe in proven concrete things while also, leaving room for the possibility of non-material um, metaphysical things. So I, I just, I, I don't see it as too, too contradictory. I guess that's my, the best way I can answer your question. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I get, I get what you're sort of saying about spiritual truth being um, different than empiricism. Um, so, what you seem to be, and, and what I'm sort of hearing is that part of it is pragmatic, that it that it helps you in your life kind of thing. Yes. And, um, um, really, I guess where where I would, would come from is that um, truth for me is what comports with reality or, you know, to quote Matt Delahunty, is, is basically what aligns with reality. So I want to have the beliefs in my mind um, reflect what is actually real um, in reality, that that which actually exists. So um, when, when you're sort of saying that spiritual truth is different than pragmatism, you're sort of saying, well, these things are spiritually uh, are real, but you're, you're sort of the, the, the reasons why you believe don't seem to be because you can demonstrate them to be so. Um, and so I, I want a reliable way to know whether your spiritual belief is correct or somebody else's spiritual belief is correct because you will have a spiritual belief based upon something or a spiritual truth based upon something somebody else will have a spiritual truth based upon something else and those two things cannot both reflect reality because well, they are different well, they are mutually um, exclusive from a well from a um sufi perspective and from um, I think certain sects of Hinduism teach this as, as well. No, all religions are technically correct because they were created by God, and God, possible. and God can't really, you know, be. God basically doesn't make mistakes. Is the belief there? I'm not saying you have to agree with it. I'm just saying that's that the belief that, that that God doesn't make mistakes. So why would He allow for the creation of something that? you know like it's not a mistake that you know some people believe in hinduism some people believe in judaism some believe some people believe in christianity and whatever um that they are all 
since they all aim for the same thing, there's truth in each one of them. Yes, but but the claims, the individual claims, uh, that most of them are mutually exclusive. Like, for instance, if you're taking Hinduism versus um, Islam, for instance, is there one God or is there not one God? Right? Is there multiple gods? So those two things are mutually exclusive. Both of them think, cannot be true. I think they're two different interpretations of the same thing. You know, I think I, I look at that as as two different manifestations of the same thing. But that yes, that but, makes no sense. That's like saying that some proposition is true and that same proposition is false in the same sense. Um, and then that's just two different interpretations. No, it's a logical contradiction. It is either true that there is one God or it is not true that there is one God. Like those things, you cannot have both that it is true and not true that there is one God. That's not possible. That's logically contradictory. But again, I'm not claiming that it's true. I, you know, I, you know. Well, but the so question the we have is, how do we tell which of these claims, if any of them, are reflective of reality? Like, okay, just say, for instance, let's say as a hypothetical, there is only one God. Right. How do we tell that the Hindus are wrong, that there are multiple ones? Right. How do we investigate? Well, which of these actually, claims? according to Hindu theology, um, the one creator God, Brahman, is one God. But there's uh, but Brahman has several manifestations. Uh, so um, like there's um, uh, pantheism is, is actually what uh uh their system is so they believe that technically what? there is one god um but uh they but brahman manifests himself in various ways and that is pantheism that is not pantheism pantheism is the idea that the universe is god universe. that everything no, that's pantheism. Pan that's no pantheism. panentheism is the idea that the universe is contained within god well, actually, pantheism okay, is yeah. the idea that there's, the universe. There's two different. But I, I did want to ask. They are pantheists, though. Well, the, sure. But I had a quick okay. question for Ryan. Yep. How much time do we have left in the open discussion exactly? We are actually. We can move into the Q and A now. Uh, oh, this was, shit. might be a good time to move into the Q and A. It's up to you guys if you want to flesh out any more thoughts. Why? What's up, Leo? Well, I was just gonna kind of segue us into a different topic and just ask Aiden and Jordan, why why did God permit the murder of six million Jews? Well, before we move into that question there, Leo, let's just get a time confirmation. <laughs> let's just get a time confirmation from everybody, and I'll let you repeat your question if everybody's good. Uh, Jordan and uh, Aiden, are you guys still good for time? If we go yeah, a little bit? Yeah, I got all yeah. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. fellas. And Mark, how are you hanging out over there? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, mate. All right. If any of you guys have, uh, you know, any... Uh, bladder interruptions don't uh don't feel shy leo back to you you can ask your question we'll yeah, so, try to do this for like another let's say maybe another like 10 to 15 minutes if that's fine by you guys before we hit q a and uh, i'll let everybody know let, uh, get your super chats in there they'll be read first um and sometimes i read them with uh, interesting voices that's always fun uh back to you leo <laughs> so why 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 did god I mean, he's supposed to be morally perfect and all-powerful. Why did he permit the murder of six million Jews? 
Uh, well, if we're talking about why God permits evil at all, which I think is a bit more of a you know broad thing, because any particular example of evil that he would allow would have to come from the reasoning of why evil must exist or does exist in, in general. Again, this comes from certain metaphysical claims I would make about morality. Um, I would argue that morality or what is neg like essentially on a metaphysical level that it is necessary for the bad to exist in order for the good to exist because otherwise it doesn't really make sense. You don't, if you don't have that kind of contrast. So you're saying evil is necessary. Only the potential for it. Um, and also in the, yeah, in but you can universe. have the potential without the actuality. So it could be necessary that the potential for evil exists and still not actually have any evil in yeah. the world, which I would argue is a better world than this. And God always seeks the best. So why didn't he just create that world? Well, because I would argue he did, but also he created that same world you just mentioned, but also free will. This is where free will would come into it in that world where the potential for evil exists and the potential for good, and we also have free will, it means we have the potential to choose the evil and choose the good. Now, is it possible that we would always choose the good? Um, possibly. I suppose we'd have to learn how to do that. So you um, do think it's possible? I do think it's possible, but I think it's Do you it's think also... God is all-powerful? Uh, yes. Do you understand within the, within that the to bounds mean... of logic. Yes, within yes. The you, of logic. So you would understand God's omnipotence to entail that God can actualize any logically consistent state of affairs uh yes without uh, violating uh ethics and it seems well. that yeah. you admitted a world where there exists free will but all agents freely choose to never do evil is possible so then why didn't god just make that world you don't think it would be better than this one how would he do that without violating the free will by because we're still freely choosing to never do evil but not if he's forcing us to choose never to do evil. But he's not forcing us. We're freely, we're freely choosing okay. to do evil. He's creating so the world in which we freely choose to, to never do evil. Okay. There's and no contradiction there. Okay, but you'll... Uh, well, okay. Well, then if in this world you've created, right? Or I guess we're both creating it a little bit. If in this world it is possible to do evil, but also to not, and God creates it so that um, we're freely choosing not to do evil what mechanism is stopping us from just choosing to do evil our free will we're freely choosing not to do evil it's possible that okay. there could be a world god can actualize any logically possible world so then he could have made that world why did he not well because i think i've pointed out a logical contradiction in your point there that if we do have free will it means we have what the are the contradictory premises uh you're saying that we have free will but you're saying that God should be able to make it so that he, he's, he's supposed to enact some well, he's making the world he's not making our decisions yeah. The decisions but, of the agents are to freely never do evil, and all God does is just create that world. He doesn't affect our free will by creating that world and well, only what, creating that world. Because, well, because why okay, are we so not let, doing... let me let me see if I can clear it up. So God's created a world where I can't freely choose to fly, right? He's created the boundaries of that world, so that is not a possibility. So what Leo is asking is why can't he create a world where you have free will and can choose to do whatever you can, but the physical properties of the world mean that, you know, you can't gas Jews, for instance. Well, that is an argument, but I'm actually granting libertarian oh, okay. free will that we're, that all, all agents libertarianly freely choose to never do evil. So it doesn't have to be like, 
sort of imposed on us through like say physical laws or something like that um i would consider those impositions i don't know if theists would say that those violate our free will i would suspect they probably okay. wouldn't so i'm granting libertarianly free decisions here and that all humans libertarian or all moral agents libertarianly freely choose to never do evil aiden's already admitted that is a logically possible world and god can make any logically possible world so why it's didn't he make possible. that one it's only logically possible if we ourselves, the moral agents, are the ones doing the choosing. Once you start having God being the we one are who's doing the choosing, moral... we are the ones libertarianly choosing to never do evil. Okay, but if if that's the choice on us, then it's up to us to create that world, then, isn't it? God no, sets the because stage. it's a logically us... possible world, and God can create any logically possible world. Now, I presume a world where we never do evil is better than this one. So why God always seeks what's best? Why did He not make that world? It seems to be you're sort of avoiding the question here. I just don't see. I mean, maybe you could explain to me a little bit better how it is possible. Well, I, I can put it in premise, have... premise conclusion form if you'd like, and then you can tell me which premise you disagree with. It's more the the, uh, the the specific. It's not so much the logically possible world thing. It's the part where you're saying God can give us free will, but we just, by some reason, I, I want that by reason. our own reason. By our own reason, we we never and we freely choose to never do that. That's Why? libertarian free will. So here, let me put you're... this. Let me put this in a syllogism because it makes it easier. Premise one: a lot, a world in which all rational moral agents libertarianly freely choose to never do evil is a logically possible world. Premise two: God can actualize any logically possible world. Premise three: God always seeks the best. Premise four: the, a world as outlined in premise one is better than the world we currently observe conclusion therefore god creates that world i think that included in i believe it was the first premise the idea that it's possible for that um you know for the world where libertarianly free agents to choose that world it kind of necessitates the possibility of the opposite existing at the exact same time in, in terms of the possibility the things about what is potential like if i flip a coin for example it is logically possible that 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 um that that it will land heads but that doesn't necessarily mean that because it's logically possible that the exactly. alternative for the possibility right so if the possibility if that coin happens to have free will and i can't force it in any way to choose to land heads without violating its free will it seems like it's not up to me or it's not my fault if that tail uh, that coin lands uh, tails I, I don't see how you're ascribing. Yeah, but if you're moral. all powerful and that coin had free will, you could pick the world where it chooses freely heads. No, that's a contradiction. You're using your well, power. So what's to the contradiction? You're using your will to impose um, a, a sort of causal effect onto the coin in this. Uh, how? So what's the causal right, effect? I'm just going to interject here because that's exactly what I was going to uh, say. Let's get you fellows back um, in here. Uh. I want to answer Leo's question about uh, the Holocaust. I would like to answer that. Um, so there is, um, I like the way this was framed. There is a, uh, a sheikh by the name of Mufti Menk. He's, uh, you know, I have some issues with some things he says, but he basically said that life is nothing more than a series of tests from god or allah i mean we like aiden and i believe in the same god you know it's just you know even uh arab christians 
call God Allah because it's just the Arabic name. No, for, I get it. The Abrahamic for, God, yes. Yeah. yeah. Go on. But anyway, the point is, um, I believe that the Nazis failed that test. And um, do I believe that God is always benevolent? No, I don't. Um, um, otherwise, why would he allow six million Jews and uh, disabled people, including my, you know, like myself? Um, so you reject uh, God's moral perfection. You would say God is not a morally perfect being. God doesn't always seek what's correct. best. That okay. is correct. And that's fine. The yeah, problem yeah. probably doesn't yeah. apply to you then. Yeah, yeah. he'd be yeah. a non-classical yeah. theist at that point. So. Correct, yeah. yes. Um, yes, I, I well, still I... believe that God doesn't yeah. necessarily... Is God mostly good, though? I can't say. Um, I, um, right. I I cannot say. I'm indifferent on that question, honestly. Um, that's fair. I okay. can't really... I can't say. I don't know God's motives. I, I don't know... Um, what i i can't get um inside uh what he i i i just i don't know but the point is that i don't think that although i still believe that he doesn't necessarily make mistakes per se i do believe that he puts certain people through tests and i believe the nazis failed that test and i, I and i do believe that unfortunately those people that were put to death, I think they were just, Artists. I guess, you know, I, I, I don't want to say like their lives didn't mean anything to God, but they were, I guess, used as uh, collateral damage. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. They were just fodder, fodder you know, yeah, yeah, fodder, fodder for the um, test. I, I, I have a different yeah, objection to like the that. free will raised by um, Aiden um i i do have a different objection that that doesn't involve free will and that's that sort of natural events occur that i would classify as um wrong or causing suffering which you know sort of under the definition i'm using would be evil so you know you can sort of appeal to free will in the case of say the nazis but you know in the case of a volcano blowing up in somebody's face and killing a, a ton of people um, you can't claim free will for that because that volcano has no free will. You would have to say that God caused that suffering and that death and destruction. So um, what what is the, the reason for that if God is all good? Yeah, natural evils. Why does God permit those natural evils? Yeah. So again, this is where I wouldn't invoke the free will argument there, but I would point out, like I said, that the potential for evil must sort of exist in order for the good to but exist. But why does he let it actualize? Is well, that better well, than it's second, not actually? Hang on a second, Leo. Oh. Hang on a second, Leo. That means that sort of the way that he gets that to happen, in the end, it will be a good thing through revealing this evil to people, correct? Not necessarily. It could just be a, a bad event that just sucks. You don't have to um, call it secretly good behind the scenes or anything. Um, that's why we call it bad. Then why do it? It's, it's just... so why let well, it happen? I'm, I'm arguing that if the potential for good and evil exists... And like, well, first of all, in the Christian worldview, because I am a Christian, we do believe God, you know, put us in the Garden of Eden type of thing, right? And that mm. in that world, oh, right? it's a fun discussion. I'm just saying that in this particular example, God did create the yeah. uh, space for where obviously there were no volcanoes and earthquakes, kind of thing, right? That that kind of natural evil just didn't exist. Um, the evil that was actualized, like why did evil um actualize the original um 
you know, the fall of man where, you know, Adam did the first sin, blah, blah, blah. That's when, like, because of free will, um, the uh, evil was introduced in actuality. So it's not, it's no longer merely a potential. And that's where we have, um, you know, the fall of man, et cetera, et cetera. But why? Why did God that's let man fall? Because, he didn't um, want that to happen, did he? Did God want man to fall? And if no, not, but he obviously wanted them to have free will because they have free will. Again, yeah, but they couldn't have had free will and not fallen? Um, it's possible, but that just simply didn't happen. So then why didn't God make that world? If it's possible, he can actualize any possible state of Again, affairs. you keep trying to sm smuggle in this assumption that you can what have assumption? free will, but also, I'm, I'm explaining it, you keep trying to say that you can have free will, but also God can create a world where, he know, where you make the, exactly these decisions. That's a, they, yeah, but you're making them. It. You're but you're making them freely. Nothing about what you said defeats the idea that freely? decisions are made freely just because, because they freely fact, chose to not disobey God. Sin. Muslims do not believe in original sin. So yeah, that's fine. Putting that out there. No, I'm no, talking about original no, sin. It, it, original sin is a different concept, but still, uh, free will being the cause of the fall is a separate thing from oh, original so sin. So are you saying that Eve? Go ahead, Mark. Are you saying that God has no control over volcanoes? Like, are you saying, saying that because man chose to sin, then it must follow that there are volcanoes? Why is that the case? Why could God not have created a world without volcanoes killing everyone and instead give everybody, say, a light a light burn that, that has no real ramifications? Okay, so let's, let's actually entertain that hypothetical for, uh, for a moment. Let's say that we were living in that world. Would the argument actually change? Like, because it seems to be that you can only understand what is evil in contrast with what is good kind of thing. Like, well, otherwise, well, it doesn't really... with... I don't think so. I can contrast with the evil that people, because you already made the free will argument that people do evil things. So we know that that is evil, right? We right. know we can get an understanding <laughs> of evil through what, what you know, the Nazis did and what, what Stalin did and all these people did. So we don't right. need natural events in order to contrast good and evil anymore because we have people choosing evil out of free will. So why is God adding additional evil that is not controlled by free will in order to punish for the it's, for the fall of man? I don't it's understand. Not, it's not a punishment, well, so to speak. I'm, I, I would argue what is that it? the concept of entropy, right, with things sort of falling apart, getting uh, chaotic and changing their state, um, uh, which introduces a sort of um, sort of chaotic nature to the universe kind of thing, that that would be introduced into the fall um because of the way that again you're, you're shaking your Are head you at saying me, but this god is... has no control over em entropy no i'm not saying that i'm saying that no he's saying that it all started when the original sin happened let, let's let him say why what... i was trying to focus on <laughs> yeah, the original why? sin and let's why let... god let that happen again, sorry leo yeah, and mark again, let's let aiden say what he's thinking there and again this is just going to sort know. of go around and around into certain metaphysical claims about good and evil that aren't necessarily going to uh no, um, purport with your worldview of what is necessary, what is not necessary. I defined what I meant by good and evil. I said what I meant by those words. Yeah, uh, can, in, can in you fairness, repeat that, please? Sorry, Aiden, in fairness, I'll just address your issue. It's because um, I, I want to get to this because Leo's entire argument hinged on the problem of evil. That was really what his his sort of objection um, to saying a god does not exist was, was based around, correct, Leo? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's yeah, uh, I I just wanted to say uh, real quick, um, my views, and this is not, you know, certainly not representing like the Islamic perspective or whatever. This is my personal uh, 
belief in terms of like creation and stuff like that. I don't necessarily believe that God creates um, all things like all human beings and whatever um, um, and all living things and whatever. Um, I believe in actually, believe it or not, more of a deistic um, notion of God set the mo- set the processes in motion, you know, um, uh, like I believe in evolution. I believe in um, all of those processes. Um, I don't know why he did it. I don't, I, I don't have, you know, I, I can't say why he did it, but um, I do believe in sort of the, I think it's called the domino theory. Um, uh, I don't know why he chose to flick that domino, but you know, I, I do, that is the theory that um, I subscribe to that. Um, okay. Maybe he, doesn't directly influence the creation of living creatures or even non-living creatures, but he set up the processes by which those things are created. So I just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Well, I mean, let's go ahead. Yeah. So my objection over, over a, a sort of um, immaterial mind would, would still exist um, for even a deistic God, but it also brings up the problem of how you distinguish between a deistic God, one that has no current effect in the universe and no um, physical impact or, or, or sort of no impact in the universe at all. He just doesn't interact with the universe and one that doesn't exist to me there seems to be no possible way to distinguish between a non-existent God and a deistic God. Um, so to me, no, I, said becomes... de- I said deistic conception uh, of, of creation. Like that's, that, that is, that is one well, aspect. Does, I'm not, you know, does th- God actually is... sort of participate in his creation after the creation is, is I guess what I would ask. I believe so. Yes. Yeah, you because know, like I said, okay. I, I believe I believe that. Um, do I believe in every instance? No, um, right. Uh, but I do. I believe in what I call limited interventionism. You know, I, I don't. Okay. I don't. Well, that's fine. That's just not a deistic god. That's all. Um, I just mm-hmm. want to sort of clarify that that a deistic god is one that is removed. I, I just from mean the, like the what I meant is like um, it's deists that technically believe in the domino theory tend to believe in the domino theory um okay. so so just wanted Ryan. to yeah put that yes, out sir. there <laughs> sorry about how that. much how much time are we doing left on the i, I was gonna say we can move remainder. into q a anytime you guys want to move into the q a so if you guys want to keep could we each before we hit q a could we each get like a minute or two just to give some final thoughts on on the discussion uh, well, I usually do that after the Q&A just because the Q&A can generate oh, okay. a lot. Can I do mine before since mine is like really Leo, relevant? Leo, don't be I don't difficult. Wanna... Come on, man. No, I'm just <laughs> saying I don't want to wait like a whole nother hour to make the statement that I – that I, it's just because then it becomes pointless. We're so far removed. That's that's kind of why. All right. Well, I mean, you know, if you have something I, – I don't mind if you have something to say right now before we go into Q&A and then if we oh, if we develop some new thoughts by the end and you have something else to say, that's fine too. I'm not going to be picky. I'm like you, I Mr. Leo. You will develop some new thoughts. I guarantee you. I guarantee well, yeah, you but will. I, this is I wanted, okay. All right, Mr. Just, um, Mr. Leo Phileas, uh, give us your thoughts. So with respect to what Aiden was saying, it's saying it, it, seemed, it seemed like – what he was saying was that 
original sin and the fall of man is like where all the evil in the world came from. It wasn't until then that volcanoes began to erupt and tornadoes and hurricanes and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Uh, and, and that's fine. But all that does is push the question back further. Did God want Eve to eat the apple? Did, did he want original sin to happen? And if not, then why did it? So, I mean, did Eve just like rationally fail? When did, was she deceived into eating the apple? If so, why did God allow her to be deceived? Why didn't he create her with cognitive faculties where she wouldn't be tricked into something? Or did she just like cognitively malfunction and just behave irrationally? And if so, why would God create an agent like that? So I just that just pushes the question back to why why did the original sin happen to begin with? I have to let them respond to that, Leo. Yeah. Uh, of course, you, you of stirred course. the pot I, a little too much I, there. So go well, ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll just, just add keep, something. I just add something yeah, really I'll quick. Let, really I'll let quick. You add sorry, it, I, and then we'll let really you respond. Quick. Um, plus, the, the, it becomes worse when you in the story, Eve did have not did not have knowledge of good and evil. So how was she supposed to tell whether obeying God was good or disobeying oh, she's God just was good? Supposed to obey God. So first of all, but no, that's not respond. it at all. Um, so, uh, for, first of all, when it comes to the knowledge of good and evil, it's meant to be full knowledge of good and evil, not just like limited knowledge of good and evil. Um, a, again, because if you look at the, if you want to go to by the biblical thing, it says you will, um, you will become as God knowing good in this, knowing good and evil. So you would know good and evil in the same way God knows good and evil. Um, so maybe that's not fully omniscience necessarily, but it's omniscience on that topic. Um, and so it, it wouldn't necessarily, because obviously they were told, do not eat the tree, and they knew that it was wrong to eat the tree. So they had some limited knowledge of it. Anyway, as for um, the question that Leo Phileas asked, where it was, um, why did God just not force Adam and Eve to be cognitive? That wasn't my question. I said nothing well, about forcing. All right, let's let you clarify okay, your well, question. Okay. 15 seconds, Leo. Let's take the word. No, no, I don't need 15. I, I already did. Okay, cool. Let, let's take the word forced and just swap it out for why didn't God make Eve? Oh, I'm not him? saying that either. Why did God allow? Why did God permit it to occur? Especially you just because said they knew it was wrong. She knew it was wrong. So why did she do it? Was she deceived or did she just behave irrational? And in either instance, why would God create an agent that can either be deceived or be or cognitively malfunction? Why would he do that? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a cognitive malfunction, but if you're a being who's only capable of making rational decisions, that doesn't seem like you have free will. Again, I just don't see how you. Oh, I think it is. It's just you freely choose. You, you say that you say the words freely choose, but you're not allowing mm -hmm. actual free will into the system. I don't. Yes, I, I, I think it comes from the fact that you don't actually granting maybe it. don't. I don't think you are. I think you're granting the phonetics. Well, this is an internal critique, concept. so I'm granting libertarian free will for this. And if it's an internal critique, then I can say that it is a cognitive necessity that she needs the ability to both choose wrong decisions and right decisions. She chose the wrong decision. I agree. There you go. I agree, okay. but why would she choose the wrong Let's decision? She knew it was wrong. Mark she knew she ought to do it, Sorry, but Leo. she did it anyway. Why? We're getting close to the Q&A, so let's let Mark get his thoughts in here as oh, well. Oh, sorry. Since... sorry. Um, the the yeah, question is, like, um, did God know ahead of time that she would eat the apple? Well, that's a bit of a difficult question in terms of omniscience. I, I don't I don't want to get into that topic because that's going to be like a whole half-hour thing. Did um, God want her to eat the, the day, apple? I, well, I, I guess my point I'm is going to... that if God so knew why she did was she? going to eat, if God Just knew she was going up. to eat the apple, there is no possible world where she did not eat that apple. Like if God Again, knew that, ahead of time. Assuming... Well, not necessarily, because you can. 
Oh, then well, it again, was a possible world. All right, let's let, eat the apple. let's let Aiden speak, guys. We're cutting him I, off every couple seconds here. I don't sorry, want to mute you. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> right. Sorry. You're right. No, no, no. You're right. All right. Anyway, um, I don't even. So wait, are we talking about the possible world, the omniscience thing, or is it possible to be omniscient and still make free will? Like, what, what, which thing are we We're talking, talking about? about possible world. Eve, why Eve ate the apple when God did not want her to, and she knew she oughtn't. All things considered, so then why did she eat it? Again, if we're so, if you want me to provide a causal account of free will, I could possibly say no, that maybe not what I'm it was a completely arbitrary. I'm yes, asking why she ate the apple. Why did she choose? What, yeah, exactly. Apple. Why? What, but she knew it was what, wrong, right? Know? Yeah. So, so why did she do it? That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm trying to give you an answer to that or a possible answer to that. Why, why do we make decisions out of our free will? That's what you're asking me, right? No, I'm asking why did she make the wrong decision when she knew it was wrong? Well, isn't the story that, that Satan tempted her? That's that's the story, right? Right. Yeah, but, but then why, why would God allow her to be deceived? It wouldn't matter because she still had the free will to either go along with it or not. It's so yeah, it just she was deceived. She was tricked. God's punishing her for being tricked. He let her get tricked and then punished her for it. If God tells you don't do this and somebody says do this and then you choose to do this. That's a decision you still made. It's free will is still that, that didn't rob her of a free will. She still made the decision. Wait, but if your daughter like sent pictures to somebody, this is hypothetical. I don't know if you have a daughter. Sent pictures to somebody online because they got tricked and groomed by an older man, but you told her not to. She should be punished for that, or is it that she was deceived? I would say that there would be natural consequences which would punish her for a decision. I wouldn't go out of my way to punish her or anything. But was she deceived um, in that situation, and should oh she boy. be punished for what she did? Well, l let me let me take that um ex example that you gave do you think that the daughter in that um hypothetical made a good decision no i don't but i also think that she well, was deceived go. into making the bad decision she made the yeah, decision but... because she was tricked into thinking that it was the right decision to make but you already granted that eve knew it was wrong so then why right. did she do it again because people sometimes choose to make wrong decisions Again, if we're so talking about free will, she just here. said, "I shouldn't do this. I know that I shouldn't do this, and I have the ability not to do it. But I'm just going to do it anyway for literally no reason." I've That's cognitively like that. malfunctioning. Yeah, it's called behaving irrationally. Uh, again, you're assuming that her free will must be strictly determined by the rationality there, and no. that's assuming the well, rationality follows it, from free will. We, we do the things we think we ought to do, right? That's, the, you know, that this idea of what is good is an action-guiding norm. It's what we ought to do. We do the things we feel that we ought to, all things considered. Like if you were I... in a park and you passed by the pond and you saw a child drowning, you know the child is drowning. You have the ability to save the child. And if you think I should save the child, then you're probably going to make an attempt to save the child. You're going to do what probably. you think you ought to do. So I'm asking Probably, Eve knew what she ought to do, but then didn't do it, knowing that she shouldn't do it with no external factors influencing her decision, then she just cognitively malfunctioned. And at that point, the question is, why did God create an agent that can cognitively malfunction? Is that what he wanted? And you're still assuming a deterministic process. I don't know no. how to sort of get- How am uh -huh. I assuming determinism? Let's let okay, Ian respond let's, there, let's, Leo. Let's 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 go back to the pond example. All right, you see a child drowning. You think to yourself, "I should save that child," but then you don't. Is what I just described metaphysically possible at all? Oh, of course, it's just irrational. 
okay, does irrational mean that you have a brain aneurysm or some sort of mental defect? That's not what that's not what a cognitive, as in like your cognitive thought process is your rationality, your intentionality, your normativity. That that's what a cognitive like doing something. So the thing is, in most of those instances where you you know you ought to save the child, all things considered, but then you don't, is going to be of as a result of extenuating circumstances that are changing the kinds of evaluations that you're making such that you don't save the child. Because in reality, you actually think that you ought not save the child, and then that's why you don't, in virtue of those extenuating circumstances. So if there were extenuating circumstances that made Eve think that she actually ought to eat the apple, then she didn't have the full suite of knowledge necessary to know that it was wrong, and then that claim you made is also wrong, or she cognitively malfunctioned. There was literally no reason for her to do what she knew she ought not do, in which case the question is, why did God create an agent to cognitively malfunction? Is that what he wanted? I, I think you're sort of creating this sort of false dichotomy where the, yeah, the only way that you could make a cognitively wrong decision is that if you know there's some sort of malfunction, which you've not really described the mechanisms of that malfunction, right? So we were just talking about how brains were purely physical, right? I would assume then that under that worldview, that's a, you know, a, a malfunction is caused by something misfiring in the physical process. Um, if, if, if you're saying that there's a cognitive malfunction. This isn't answering the question. Well, I'm I would like to get, I have to, sorry, Leo. Why she ate the apple, and the only answer I've got is, well, because she made the wrong decision. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's not really an will. answer. In other words, that's why I keep interrupting. To, trying, you're that may be the case. What, in the short amount of time we have left. I, I, because you're trying to get I, me. Sorry, sorry, fellas. I'm just going to put you both on the mute for just one second. I, I do have to uh, try to get the other fellas in here. Uh, Jordan says he feels we're going in circles. I want Jordan to uh, elaborate a little bit on what about the conversation is kind of causing him to feel that way. Pass it back to Mark. And uh, then, like I said, maybe get into the Q&A unless there's another avenue we'd like to explore. Uh, but let's no, get you guys off new, uh, off the mute. So I think over I've to you, Jordan. <clears throat> well, it just seems like we're just fixating on one point that Aiden says, and then Leo will say something, and then it just goes back and forth and back and forth, and then and it just doesn't seem to be getting us anywhere. That's kind of what I mean. It's just like, and then they'll repeat the same points over and over again, just in slightly different ways. And then th that's the perception I'm having. You know, I mean, some people could interpret it differently, but the perception I'm getting is that what we have here is, I mean, you know, Mark and I occasionally interact. And then these two are just talking past each other and, it just, I don't know. All right, without Welcome the meta-analysis of the debate, let's kick it over to Mark there. Yeah, so I, I, I just, I just my, my personal opinion is that um, God would have known ahead of time that Eve would eat the apple. He would have known that it created a flawed agent that is not capable of obeying him, and he would have known that ahead of time. There is no reason why he could not have fixed that error so that that did not happen. Um, but he didn't. So... Um, the only conclusion that I can make is that God wanted that to happen. 
All right, everybody, we're going to kick it into the Q&A. I just want to remind everybody that we're going to have a live in-person debate, and we do have our Indiegogo uh, link in our description where you can get all kinds of amazing perks. Uh, So I'll tell you about them right now before we go into the Q&A. Get your Super Chats in uh, while I let you know uh, what you guys can do. So... uh, any, uh, I was going to say, what we do is we, uh, let me just get this opened up, everybody. This thing's being slow, I'm trying to vamp off here. By the way, everybody, hit the like button if you haven't already. Now, behave yourself, computer, while I scroll through these. So, uh, if you want your name in the post-debate credits, it's $10 USD, and uh, we will put your name in the uh, credits for the live debate that we are going to be hosting in Houston, uh, te- not Houston, Texas, uh, sorry, Uh uh, in Dallas, Texas, that was the last one. Uh, I got to get my facts straight, everybody. See, I've I, I've got my uh, facts all backwards here. Uh, so, if you want an embossed thank you postcard, twenty five USD, you can get that from donating to our crowdfund there. Um, scroll down, you silly computer. It's being so difficult for me, guys. See, I have Canadian dollars, and I have to make sure that I tell you what it is in American. All right. You know what? You guys can click on, uh, click on the Indiegogo link because my computer's not behaving itself for some odd reason. Uh, and I'll also remind you that we have tickets for the live in-person event there. Uh, so get your super chats in, everybody, uh, and we'll keep the conversation rolling. Uh, we only have a few super chats in right now, so if you get them in there, uh, you're, I'm sure we'll get to them shortly. Pointless Poppy, thank you for being here. It says for $4.99, when damages are made to the brain, changes happen in the mind. And when the brain has changed enough, all functions stop as far as we know. Thoughts on that, panel? Well, it's even worse when you consider split brain patients. That's patients that have had a cut made through the corpus callosum. The two hemispheres are actually split off. And what you'll see is that the, the patient will literally have two minds that can disagree with one another over things. One side can be a theist, one side can be an atheist. Um, so it's sort of this ideal of dualism where the mind isn't reliant on the brain um, doesn't explain this phenomenon. Uh, and, it, you know, and most mostly when I bring it up, they make no effort to, but I'd, I'd love to hear about that. Well, I guess as the group's resident dualist, it's often thought when we talk about dualism that we're only talking about the immaterial mind, but it's called dualism for a reason. The physical part is still like involved. There's obviously an interaction that's going on there. And so I don't see why it should be a surprise where if the physical part affects the immaterial and vice versa, I don't see why that should surprise us at all. I don't see how, um, you know, because you like, let's take the split brain example. All right, there's two brains that disagree with each other. I mean, I'm, I suppose it's even possible under dualism that the immaterial mind might disagree with the physical brain. Um, there's, there's no necessary uh, issue or contradiction there. It's the, the question of do we observe any interactions from the immaterial mind onto the physical that the physical brain itself just can't seem to explain on its own and i would argue terminal lucidity would be an example of that that's jordan um i don't really have a lot to add to that honestly all right leo over to you what do you uh, think about our question from pointless poppy and what we've heard 
It's interesting. It's, it's a lot like an internal combustion engine where if, if you turn it on, it runs and you've got the exhaust and the camshafts move and the valves open and close and the pistons go up and down and the crankshaft turns and all that fun stuff happens. And, you know, you can change the amount of air and fuel going into the engine and change certain features of the engine. You can be, make it run poorly, um, kind of like the brain. You can change aspects of the brain and make it run poorly. But when you turn an engine off, the engine stops running. There's not some other stuff there that, that will keep going after the engine has stopped. Um, when you put a flame out on a candle, there isn't light still someplace else related to that flame. When you shut a computer off, there isn't still some processing going on in some happy place forever. There, these, this, these processes have simply ceased. And I don't know why we should expect the brain to be any different from that. When that's, well, you know kind of what we observe in every instance, like every instance, or at least most instances where somebody has been shot in the head. Where the brain is, by the way. Any other thoughts on that panel before we move on? I would just, uh, um, I, I, I wanted to say with Lithius, I actually did like that um, example he gave, like computers and for example, um, but if we liken uh, the material mind to be in like a radio wave and the physical part of our brain to be in like a television, right? And we smash the television and assume, well, oh, we're not getting a signal. So then the signal must have been coming from inside the TV rather than outside. I think that would be a uh, an incorrect uh, assumption to make that just because the TV is not working, that the you know the signal must have been coming inside the TV. I just don't see that. How, how does this brain? How does yeah, the brain but, receive but, this signal? Well, and also we know how explain. TVs receive signals. How does the brain? It was a uh, example that you can't necessarily say that everything that's going on is internal. I'm just saying you can't know that. Like, just oh, I, I actually agree with that. I think the, a lot of external factors like external environmental factors are perceptual senses. All that stuff's external. In fact, I would argue that a lot of our consciousness is largely built by the external world and our ability to interact with it. Yeah, and, and with sort that of as much as you Well, could I chip in for a second? Um, Sorry, I the 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 um the idea of a receiver is sort of it's really betrayed by the sp split brain patients because if you split a TV in half, it doesn't receive two different signals, right? It doesn't receive channel on one and a channel on, that isn't what's happening, right? Like so so the idea that it's just a receiver. Um, and it's just receiving this signal doesn't explain why the signal is broken in half as well. It's it's inadequate to just explain that. Yeah, it's interesting um, because uh, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, uh, corpus callosum thing because um, uh, not to get too too personal here, but um, that's actually how um, my brain is. It was a birth defect, and I part of my corpus callosum is missing, so I technically have two brains in a way so mm -hmm. um so i understand how that 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 stuff works is my point you know so i i i kind of get what you're saying um i, I can kind of understand that all right there Let's... may be something you could oh sorry i was just gonna say that sounds like super interesting jordan is there anything that like um having gone through that that um what would be then your views on how that kind of dualism work like what's your experience of that i guess i would ask Oh, it's been pretty hard, um, <laughs> especially when um, it's funny. We've been talking about visible versus invisible things and uh, stuff like that and immaterial and whatever. It's hard to um, this is a totally different topic, but it's hard to live in a world where they'll acknowledge overtly obvious physical disabilities. But when you're living in a world where 
they don't seem to be as willing to accept disabilities that are somewhat invisible. And it's like, uh, so it's really hard to prove to people. That's why um, it's funny. Um, we talked earlier about, uh, I think Ryan, you were saying about the uh, like Canadians being like serial apologizers. I'm a serial apologizer because I feel like I have to explain myself all the time to everybody. You know, um, why are you guys out here apologizing to serial? What? I'm sorry, that was just a joke. <laughs> well, we can move on to the next chat, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll try to keep everything rolling and make sure that everybody uh, yep. is treated fairly. That went and... over everybody's head, didn't it? Um, uh, I think <laughs> so. Yeah, serial apologizer, and I was saying, no, why no, are you I apologizing got it, yeah. to yeah, no, serial? I got it. I got it. Yeah, no, I got it eventually. Thank you, Leo. Oh, I thought it was but funny. That is Damn. the term. <laughs> Darn dad jokes. Well, I see 290 of you watching, and uh, we've only got, what, 116 likes? Smash that like button, uh, everybody. What else are you smashing? Seriously. Smash it like a Nazi's face. <laughs> My goodness, nice. Leo. Yes, mute yourself after that. Anyways. Let, well, you're on mute, it says on the thing. <laughs> there you yeah, are. You're what, <laughs> I said it was so bad. I said smash it like a Nazi's face. That's... I, I thought I thought that just, would be an agreeable thing to say. I got I, well I today in America, maybe not. You just know, you just know. get get us get us triggered by the old YouTube algorithm, my friend. That's yeah. what we want. Anyways, I'm I might try not for violence anyway. So I'm you know. I was going to say, say we got different rules here in Canada too that sometimes makes it so that uh, content isn't available to us based on different types of censorship i don't necessarily agree with that uh but you know i do want to be able to watch these debates uh, on my own time guys right. <laughs> in fairness i think i think leo sort of you know that that ship has already sailed you know leo brought it up way before now so yeah exactly i, I, was, I was gonna say it a is a couple of references are gonna make it it's, any worse it's so, yeah. fine he's just he's just trying to pick on me directly and that's fine because you know i love you buddy all right sal coming in for 4.99 would the atheist agree if god exists outside the physical universe our knowledge of his existence is dependent on how he chose to reveal himself I'm not sure what quote unquote outside of space time is supposed to mean. That's like telling me, well, Santa Claus exists, but he's just north of the North Pole. What does that mean? That means nothing to me. What are you talking about outside of space time? I'm lost. I'm lost. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I do agree with Leo's sort of summation as outside, you know, referencing a place outside of space-time. I'm not saying that it can't exist. It just seems like you would have to sort of at least at least show that this place could exist outside of space-time, which would be problematic. Um, but if they did exist in some way outside of space-time, they don't exist outside of reality. And if they do interfere physically with the universe in any way, we should be able to at least verify that physical interaction in some way. The effects of it, if we can't observe the the, the god, the, this this hypothetically god itself. Um, if you say that that it's using divine hiddenness to sort of say, well, you can't detect it. Well, then there's no difference between a god that's making itself undetectable and a god that doesn't exist. I think it's far more likely that people made up these stories about a god then this God exists, wants us to know that it exists and yet hides from us when we try and find it. 
there's this uh, it's funny there's this book called um flatland um it's a, you can search it up on youtube on it's like an audio book it's a that mm-hmm. kind of deals with a very um similar sort of thing where it's like um if you if you're saying outside of space and time you mean like some sort of maybe higher dimension maybe that's something i could conceptualize of what you're talking about because um our ability to understand like because we're able to interact with sort of lower dimensions in a certain sense um but it's a bit higher to conceptualize how, how exactly that works it's the um but like for example if a, a fourth dimensional being in some way wanted to step into the three-dimensional world um you know we would see a three-dimensional object maybe um uh, uh sort of popping in and out it's like a it wouldn't uh anyway it's a whole thing i Stop rambling. Well, that's Sagan that you're referencing. Carl Sagan was the one that sort of was demonstrating flatland on a two-dimensional plane kind of thing. And you you would be unable to see it, but it would still have a presence in that two-dimensional space. You would see this, um, if it was a cube, for instance, the, the two-dimensional being would see a, a square kind of yeah. thing. So this, this, as I said, this should still be detectable um, and and... I'm not sure that I would agree that a god would only uh, appear in the way that it would choose. I think that it should be detectable um, physically in our unit three-dimensional universe, even if it was a fourth-dimensional being or something like that. Well, let's use the example of that story. How did uh, the character react when he saw the square? All he said was, all I see is a square. There's no reason to assume any higher dimensions, that you're some higher-dimensional being. Um, So maybe we do observe... Well, that's not how the story goes no no he's taken aback and and amazed at this square appearing from nowhere because with the, the flat sphere, land at two dimensions well with the sphere or whatever you know sorry, he's amazed yeah. at the circle appearing from nowhere because the sphere isn't present in the two dimensions it hasn't like sort of dropped down into it yet but all he sees is a circle but he's completely amazed because this circle came out of nowhere kind of thing that's the whole point that we still should be able to see or observe the effects of this fourth dimensional creature in the third dimensional world and that's my point we don't see the effects of it but my point uh, anyway i don't want to yeah sorry yeah sure sorry i i just wanted to say clarify my answer for a little bit i would i would agree with mark if we're talking about some sort of higher dimension or some sort of meta space it's either going to be somehow metaphysically or ontologically connected to ours or it's not and if it's not then i don't think you can have any ontological effect on our reality and if it is ontologically connected to ours then i would assume its effect is going to be causal to some degree and we should be able to detect that 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 hyperspace that other dimension is going to act as a causal medium through which it can interact with and behave with our universe all right i don't see why that wouldn't be detectable any other thoughts there on the other side before we move on i was just gonna ask mark what oh sorry i'll let george go i keep yeah let's let jordan go here guys i haven't heard from you in a while jordan yeah so i guess um my whole my, my my question is what's the harm in believing something that is non-falsifiable or or, or believing in something that isn't you know um 
entirely empirical, I guess, you know, what's the harm in just believing in something? I, I, I guess not, I, I guess not everybody shares my philosophy that, that it's more of a personal thing rather than, you know, uh, you know, there are some people that want to, you know, impose their beliefs on others, of course, um, even though um, in Islam, for instance, you cannot do that. It is forbidden by the Quran to do that. So it's funny how um, some people, at least um, in the West, scapegoat Islam as being a problem because, you know, they cite Al-Qaeda and stuff like that as, as examples of of Islam. It's like those people did not care about Islam. They were a political organization, not, you know, not really a, a, a religious one. It's like there is no compulsion in religion. That is a direct quote from the Quran. You know, there shall be no compulsion in religion. Um, so what is the harm of just believing in something if you're not, you know, if you're not bothering anybody, you're not, you know, like what I guess I just don't see the harm in that. Well, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there if you're not bothering anybody, right? So so a lot of it is um, dependent on the actions you take based on your beliefs. Beliefs never did anything to anybody. And you know, whether I believe there's a there's a teapot around Jupiter or whether I believe there's a magic unicorn in my room, it never affected anybody. But it's the actions you take based upon the beliefs. And the actions you take upon beliefs that are not in accordance with reality are usually ones that have a negative effect in reality. So for instance, if you believe that the world's going to end because of what you believe, you may say, well, I'm not hurting anybody, but you're also less likely to say, um, address problems like climate change or ecological disaster or things like that um, because of your beliefs. Um, there are people who see the- I do, I do believe in climate change, I do. Well, I'm not talking about you, right? I'm oh, talking all right, about- all right. um, if, if your beliefs are that, but you probably don't believe that this is the, the end of days kind of thing and the world's going to end, right? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I don't believe right. that we're in apocalyptic times, no. Right, right. So, so that's an example where your beliefs aren't affecting the world in a detrimental way because your beliefs are different than someone who is absolutely sure that the world is ending in the next few years and mm. um, would not address things like that because of their beliefs. And this sort of flows over to a lot of things. And while you can sort of say how Al-Qaeda was political, you can definitely say that uh, Islamic State or ISIS was a, a attempt to create a theocracy. And I'm not saying you agree with that. And most most theists don't. They, they don't agree mm. with that kind of thing. Most Christians don't, you know, sort of act as if the world's going to end very soon they're just you know mm -hmm. people get along fine it, it, it's fine it, it's the fact that um those beliefs can cause you to take actions um that either um disadvantage others or um um don't address certain things that have a profound effect in this world so i think it mm -hmm. is important to have the construct of what you believe to try and fit to what is actually real as, as much as possible because we can't mm -hmm. be you know, we obviously know everything. Yeah. Uh, the rapture is actually tomorrow, according to American oh. evangelicals, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't okay. know. Well, 
I, I didn't get my RSVP, did you? Like, what the, what is this? I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't expect one, quite frankly. But it, do you have again, you know, for that American evangelicals, they're more interested in politics than any actual... Oh, of course. I'm well aware of that. Know. I live in America amongst you know, I evangelicals. Do too. Yeah. Well, this yeah, might be a good, I do too. This might be a good time to move on to the next super chat. Um, Pointless Poppy asks, uh, thanks again, Pointless Poppy, for your super chat. And everybody, uh, get your super chats in there because we only have a few. And I know that they're spurring lots of juicy, good conversation. And I hope you're all enjoying it. But if you want it to continue, if you want us to keep engaging in this lovely discussion, get those super chats in there uh, so that we can keep stirring the good old juicy yeah. pot of could, could discussion. Could I finish my point, though? Could, could, I, could I finish what I was saying? Sure. I'll give you 20 seconds there, Jordan. Okay. So, um, like with the ISIS thing, um, I think that the marrying of church and state is one of the most destructive things to ever happen to uh, religion. I don't agree with that at all. And, uh, you know, so that's why I don't believe in the concept of the state. I do not, I think that the only legitimate authority authority is Allah, and I don't, I don't recognize the authority of man-made states. Well, Whoa, they, big anarchy energy uh, coming in here yes. strong. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm also yes. an anarchist. So yeah, I agree with him there. Fun, you guys fun. should like ditch anarchy and read a little bit of Marx. <laughs> I've read Marx. <laughs> yeah, I'm not impressed with him, honestly. I'm not. Marx, you know, Mar- um, Marx Reed. I didn't know there was an S at the end of your name. Sorry, buddy. No, I'm kidding. All right, let's <laughs> let's continue on. Uh, I make the worst dad jokes, everybody. Pointless poppy. Dollar uh, ninety nine. If God is simply an abstract concept, it's useless. That's correct. Agreed. Abstract objects don't yeah. stand in causal relations. Like the number two doesn't cause anything. Um, the the addition operator or addition operation, I should, should say, in mathematics doesn't cause anything. The derivative operator doesn't say, cause so, anything. So, These are so abstract. Are you, so, Leo, are you against the teaching of things like algebra in school? Because that's abstract. Well, I, yeah, that's fine. I'm not saying that these things are wrong. I'm simply pointing to them as examples of abstracta. So I, I have a question I, about that. I kind of disagree with the super chat. Like you can you can make a case that um, God is practically useful, even if it isn't abstract. You can say, hey, if I live in a country that's very Muslim and say it's illegal to be an atheist, just this hypothetical Muslim country, it may be practical Don't to say I believe in the thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Leah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, which is the premise so, that so I also it, reject, just clarifying. It may yeah, be terrible. practical to believe in order to help you get through that that experience or something, but that right, doesn't I make agree. it true. And for my money uh, or, or what I want is I want to know what is actually true in reality, not just what I wish were true or what helps me along, because that is is sort of, I, I don't agree with that sort of, pragmatic belief in something because it helps me out i don't think it's useful and i think it leads to down the track um short term it might be good but down the track you know you're contributing to an islamic state or you're you're making decisions that are actually bad for you down the track i think that it's short-term thinking uh i just wanted to quickly say sorry uh, james i only have 10 minutes left just real quick um i might have to dip out in 10 minutes just let you know 
That's all right. Yeah, my name's Ryan, by the way. It's just not on the sorry, screen. Ryan. Oh, really, sorry, Ryan. Sorry, I saw the James on the screen. You've really sorry. gotten a lot smaller since the last time I saw you, James. I don't know what channel <laughs> you must have been I, on one massive diet. Yeah, I, I got you back. You called the Arden, so I'll call you James. I was going to say, I, yeah, there I, you go. I, stopped, there you go. I stopped working. That's true. I'm so sorry, Aiden, about the uh, typo it's... there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I stopped working out, everybody, as you can see. <laughs> Me, James, I've shriveled up. I, I've only been working out my vocal box lately. Uh, that's the only thing that's really strong about me. Even when I have to stand with a guitar for too long, I'm just, I get home and I'm just like, Oh, give me a hot water bottle. Uh, it sucks being super skinny. Anyways, I should work out more. And James is probably going to line me up when I get there and be like, Ryan, what are you made out of, uh, when I get to Texas, uh, to meet him, which is going to be awesome. And I'm going to meet you as well, Leo, and whoever else wants to join us in Texas for the live event. It's going to be a great time. Farron Salas for $9.99. Thank you so much for your super chat. Keep those super chats coming in, everybody. We love them. Why do these debates with theists always have to go in talks about primacy of reason and abstraction just to show the evidence of God already? And then they end it, and we'll give it a Mickey Mouse. Shit, or get off the pot. I didn't catch that. Something said, about the pot. Yeah. They said shit yeah. right off the pot, but yeah, I was trying to be yeah, ob ob obtuse about it. <laughs> they're basically saying why does it always get into logical arguments and why isn't evidence presented, I guess, is what they're, they're, oh. they're asking. Well, I'm the one that did that. The reason that I will oftentimes either ask for or put an argument in a syllogistic form is because it allows one or, or several people, just depends on the situation, to really look at what is being said what follows from that and where people disagree. It's just a way of really organizing what's going on, setting aside aspects of the meta discussion and other confusing language, sentence, 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 conclusion. What's, go, what's wrong here? Where do you disagree? It makes it very, very simple to figure out where the agreements and the disagreements are or where arguments may fall apart. That's why it's done. They are necessary features of discussions, at least good discussions like this one has been. I, I, in my opinion, I don't think there's and anything I, wrong with would, getting a little formal. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would say also to the person who made that super chat that remember, this is about the hard case for atheism, right? And we're talking about things like physicalism. Um, these are metaphysical positions, right? Um, I could provide, I guess, empirical arguments for God's existence, but it's like that that's not really what this was about. It was more about, um, you know, is physicalism justified? And then from physicalism, can you say there's no God? We go reconnection successful. I'm not sure. Uh, we had a little freezing issue there, everybody. Um, sorry about that. Uh, let me know in the live chat if you can hear me. Is my lovely voice coming through? <laughs> I think we good. I think we are, Riley. Yeah, you're coming through. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, everybody, for letting us know in the live chat. I appreciate you uh, getting back to us so quickly. Uh, we couldn't do without you. Canadians must just have a worse internet than us good old red-blooded Mercans. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I've only got, what, uh, 1.5 gigabytes down and a uh, 1,000 up? Even though the uh, United States actually has a terrible Wi-Fi infrastructure. So yeah, I got I got yep. I got over a gig down and a gig up. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm 
pretty that's sure good. it's pretty good. That's um, more than adequate. Yeah. <laughs> so it should be fine. Yeah, we, we've got great internet up here. Big yeah. Fang Flying Wayne coming in hot for $5. And uh, thank you so much for your super chat. Like I said, everybody, keep them coming in. We've only got a few super chats here, uh, you know, and, and we are trying to support ourselves for the event coming up in Texas. So uh, if you have a question and you're curious to ask it to one of our speakers tonight, fire it into the super chat and we will get to it. Uh, and I'm going to say it again because I love it. A big thing, a flying wame says for $5, infinite time plus space equals the possibility of a round square. God is a round square. Show evidence of a round square, theists, please. I'm a little confused by that. The yeah. first thing I would say is that space and time might be infinite. That doesn't mean that logical impossibilities can be the case because logical impossibilities being unobtainable, meaning they can't ever obtain, has nothing to do with any physical state of affairs. It has to do with conceptual state of affairs. You can't have something and its complete and entire negation obtain both simultaneously in the same sense at the same time. That just can't happen. No matter how much space and time you got. Well, I think um, sort of before space time is a nonsensical concept. You could You could say eternal... Um, I would probably more describe it as atemporal rather than eternal, because if you have a situation um, like at the beginnings of the Big Bang where space and time weren't applicable, um, you can't really say it's eternal because there is no time to be eternal. I would say atemporal. Um, whether or not that makes it infinite is is another question. I messed and it up. It's both infinite and... I messed up. Nobody's that. hearing anything I'm saying, are they? What, what, no, 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 no. I hear you, Mark, entirely, but I messed okay. up because Big Thang Flan Wang says, I wrote the does not equal symbol. I'm sorry, Big Thang Flying Wayne. I missed that. Infinite time plus space does not equal the possibility of a round square. Okay. God is a round square. Show evidence of a round square. Theist, please. Oh, sorry, Big Thang Now it makes we a went, lot more sense. We went down the wrong rabbit hole, Big Thang, but right. you know what? Okay. We I got some good conversation confused. out of it. Let's. I had a really good answer to. I had the best answer. I won't share it with you, but I had the best. Just wait, wait really quick. Sure. What was the very last part of that question? Please show. What was that? Evidence of a round circle. square theist, please, Mark. I want to hear what this best answer is. <laughs> I'm very curious. You were very. Uh... Oh, I can't hear you, Mark. It, all of a sudden, everybody, I can't hear the speakers. Can you hear me? Mark? Oh, we, yeah, we yeah. can yeah, I I hear, hear you. you. Yes, we can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I lost you guys, I thought, for a second there. Uh, Mark, did you have any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I, I'm not sure why a uh, infinite time would get you to a, to a round. So there might be something of that question that I'm failing to pick up. Um I, I think that sort of God as a logical impossibility, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced that it's a logical impossibility. Then again, okay. just because something's not logically impossible doesn't mean you should believe it. Um, it needs, as flying bang Bruce Wayne says, you need evidence for it before you actually believe it. Flying Wayne. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Big thing, flying Wayne. That was, the, that was the best impression I've ever heard you do of a Westerner. They're right there. Everybody, we just heard it. That was great. 
you you almost had it. All right, we're gonna move to the last Q and A that we have so far. Everybody, uh, like I said, get those Q and A's in there. Uh, I do have another question that I pulled from the chat beyond this, um, but we do want to try, like I said, to stir the pot of conversation before we let everybody go. Sonic Shroom for five dollars says, "Sounds like God wanted sin in the world. He just wanted to blame its existence on someone else." Why does God permit things he knows he ought not to permit? What all-powerful, morally perfect, all-knowing being permits things it knows it ought not permit? I mean, again, I don't want to go back into the free will thing. Um, again, yeah, uh, you say it sounds like God just wants to sin. Well, that's why you shouldn't trust your um, senses because they can deceive you. You've got to go by logic. Right, and I... I uh... Ooh. <clears throat> I believe, like I said earlier, um, that we're being tested all the time. And I don't think that um, certain people, you know, certain people are going to pass their tests and certain people are going to fail. That's just the reality. And, um, and so I don't think the... So I think that's probably where evil comes from is, is people sort of um, failing the test of whether or not to succumb to the temptations of evil. Um, um, so that's more how, how I look at it. Um, so so he's, he's permitting evil because it's a test of character. It's a test of will. Well, so that just makes it conducive I... to his will, which makes it a good thing. It ought to occur because it conduces God's will. So in the, if it ought to occur, that's what it means to be good. So then it wouldn't be evil. It would just be good. Well, that's mm -hmm. assuming that God's will is always good, which I don't think Jordan makes that designation. Right. So. I'm not making that case. Uh, uh, that I, I didn't say that God is necessarily always benevolent or good. I just, I, I think that, um, and I don't necessarily, and this is uh, one thing where Aiden and I disagree. Um, I don't necessarily believe in objective morality and things. Or uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, or or um, what was I? Th that God is the source of objective morality. That's what I meant. Um, uh, or that morality is even objective. You know, I think that uh, that I, I do slightly disagree with that. But um, I'm with you there. But um, but I do think that um, God has a benevolent side. But do I, in my heart of hearts, do I think that God is always benevolent? No, I, I don't. Uh, well, can I, I quickly? Sorry, I, I do had... have to like get. I do have to get going. I, I do have to leave. Um, so could I quickly maybe just give like a quick minute ramble just to finish this off kind of thing sure thing one minute for your closing discussion or th closing thoughts there Aiden. okay so uh in this debate uh, we talked a lot about the issues of um uh, metaphysical dualism and physicalism as well as the problem of evil um by my assessment um we didn't actually talk a whole lot about terminal lucidity and the problems that it poses for physicalism um but i would argue that there there really hasn't really been one way or another um physicalism wasn't really proved in this debate i wouldn't say um 
And as for the problem of evil, I, I would argue that um, maybe me and uh, Leophilius could um, have a further discussion later on, maybe in the Discord or something, uh, to talk more about, um, to get um, more into detail about um, the nature of free will and how that might run up against what he's suggesting there. Um, and then other than that, I will also say that I've, um, I did uh, talk over a few bit people. I do apologize for that. But other than that, I did really enjoy this debate. And for, thank you to everybody for being here and having me on. Mm -hmm. No problem. Uh, if you wanted to hang out for uh, a couple more seconds there, Aiden, uh, it, it, you know, if you need to jump out, that's fine. But uh, we'll just uh, do our closing statements for everybody. So if Aiden, you need to go, that's fine. But uh, let's go over to you, Jordan. We'll uh, kind of pass it back and forth. So Jordan, one minute for your closing statements. Cool, because I kind of got to go too, because my laptop is dying. So, um, but anyway, uh, the you know the point I will go back to is that I think this discussion is framed a little bit wrong. I don't think it's necessarily about factual versus non-factual. Um, I think it's a question of belief, and I don't think you necessarily need a factual basis for belief systems. Um, I, I, I just don't think, I don't see any, I, I just don't see why you need um, a, a factual basis for just believing something. Um, in certain cases, like with conspiracy theories and blah, 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 blah it might help to have some facts on your side. Um, but in theological and ontological or uh, theological, yeah, theological cases, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. And I think that um, belief in this context is um, a, a little bit more nuanced and a little bit deeper. And I think that, um, that there's no inherent harm uh, in uh, just believing something and I don't really I, I well I believe that you know you guys made some good arguments and I conceded a couple of, of those arguments uh, I just didn't hear too many compelling uh, arguments as to why my viewpoint is wrong I guess all right. Before we hand it over to Leo, because I know you'll have another thought there, Leo, before we close out. Mark, your closing thoughts. Yeah, so um, so a factual basis for belief, is it required? No, you can believe anything for any reason. Beliefs don't necessarily need a justification, because if it was a justified belief, then you'd probably be claiming knowledge. Um, but if you are going to um, make decisions in reality, you, you would probably want there to be a sound epistemology for your beliefs, some reason as to why you believe that. I mean, if you have a knowledge of physics and how wear and tear affects your socks and that's what causes holes, you have a much better chance of addressing that situation than if you believe that magic pixies created the, the holes in your socks. Now, you're free to believe that magic pixies were the origin, but you're not going to have the same effect on the world as if you believe that it's just a physical effect of you know friction and all of these natural forces um but i now, don't believe in the um, pixie thing i think you're doing i think you're straw manning my, my point my, this is his closing statement closing. Sorry, sorry about sorry. that jordan sorry. um yeah, yeah another um, 15 20 seconds there sorry, I, uh, uh, 
um where was that to um so so this 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 is sort of like well i have reasons for believing that there is no god and that is what makes me an atheist now i'm not claiming some sort of absolute knowledge from that but there is a justification for believing that and if it is in fact true that there is no god then it is justified true belief and it, it does actually count as knowledge um, I think that sort of instead saying, well, I have a belief and don't need to justify it, you have a much better chance of being right if you go for the position that has a justification for it and a rational justification at that. Thank you. All right. Leo, uh, do you have a one minute of new closing thoughts before we end our discussion? Well, just in terms of the discussion um, that's been had, I'm still not sure how the existence of a priori knowledge is in any way, shape, or form supposed to indicate the existence of God. I'm, we never got an argument really for that. Um, I, I never heard a response to the sort of uh, what's called the pairing problem. This idea that if if souls are what control bodies or if, you know, substance dualism is true, then we're, there isn't anything necessitating control over just our own bodies. If there is give what that thing is and how it how it may, you know, limits us. So why can't I lift other people's hands? We never got a really good answer to that. Um, we never really got a good alternative with respect to, you know, how we can physically affect all these aspects of the brain. In the mind, that seems to indicate that they're very strongly related. We never really got answers to to that with respect to substance dualism, how that can account for a variety of issues, like you get shot in the head and you die. Simply granting, simply accommodating things that the physicalists can actively predict is not, I mean, that's the thing. All of these things are predicted by physicalism. They're merely accommodated by substance dualism. And we never really got and a good answer as to why God permits things he knows he ought to permit, like the murder of six million Jews. Uh, we never got a good answer as to why God couldn't actualize a world where all rational moral agents libertarianly freely choose to never do evil. We never got an explanation as to how God's actualization of such a world would have any effect on that libertarian Ten free seconds. will. We never got an answer to why God would permit Eve to be deceived or to cognitively malfunction or to, <coughs> excuse me, or to commit the original sin to begin with. So there was a lot of stuff a lot of problems for theism, at least as one of our opponents was defending it, that we never really got good answers to. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for your closing thoughts. Thank you, Adrian, for being here. Uh, I know you're not here anymore. Oh. Um, Mark, Sorry, Ryan, I forgot one thing. I know you I'm forgot one thing. I was about show. to ask you about the after show because yes, I've gotten a couple yes. questions. Mark, are you doing the after show? I am, yes, I am doing the after show. Um, I'll get you the link, actually, so you can drop it in there. Um, that would be, I'd really appreciate it. That would be fantastic. I'll do it again. Um, I probably, I should be better organized and have it already, but there you go. Um, yeah, and, and sort of, so so Jordan, if you do want to rebut it or, you know, say stuff extra, you're more than welcome to come along and sort of, you know, argue your case if, if you do want to add anything else that, that we haven't gotten to or, you know, if I if you do think I've been straw manning you, sure, absolutely, I, I'd I'd love to hear about it. Well, just that last argument, <laughs> I thought was yeah. okay. The fairy thing. <laughs> there we go. I yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I won't start up the debate by sort of explaining what I meant, but you know, if if you do come along to the upshot, I'm I'm more than happy to explain why I'm using that analogy. Mm -hmm. All right, excellent. Yeah. 
Well, we'll close My, off there. Oh, well, I, you know what? Fine. Let's, let's have a little bit more. Uh, Jordan, what were you going to say? I just wanted to say my laptop is dying. So like, I'm not sure I'll be able to participate in the after show, but I'll try as much as I can. You know, I'll be there for a little bit, I guess. Excellent. That'd be great to see. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jordan, for being here. I'm glad that we met. I'm glad that uh, Brent uh, had uh, linked uh, me to you and that you were willing to come Mm -hmm. out and have this conversation. A huge round of virtual applause for Jordan uh, for his debut here on Modern Day Debate. We really appreciate you, buddy. Um, Yeah. You know, I'll I'll, I'll do like I said, I'll do more. I don't I, I have no problem with that. Awesome. Well, we we appreciate it, and we appreciate Mark and Leo Phileas, of course. And uh, like Thank I say, you. big round of virtual applause for everybody that came out here tonight, uh, especially me. No, I'm kidding, everybody. That's fine. Uh, you know, I just enjoy hanging out. So uh, as for yourselves, I know Josh was uh, hanging out in the live chat earlier, who's my band compadre, uh, who helped make... A who's lot of Josh? What kind of name is Josh? Josh is Josh, my good band compadre. He moved away recently, um, but uh, we made a lot of great music together, and I've been sharing it out through the modern day debate, uh, and that's what they've been hearing, is his rhythm guitar playing, um, and his drum beats, and then me singing and playing guitar solos. So uh, if you see him in the live chat, give him love, everybody. That's we actually will- pretty fucking bad. Us. We are. Also, you want to know a really fun fact? Do you know what Jesus' name like translates literally to from Yeshva? Do you know what it translates to in English? Yeah, he's my favorite Jesus. Uh- <laughs> Joshua. Yeah, the yeah. name translates yes. to Joshua. Yes. Jesus was yes, a Josh. That's true. I, yes. Yes. Jesus, if you're still in the uh, chat there, uh, sorry, Jesus, because his name's Josh in the chat. Jesus, uh, if you're there in the chat, uh, I appreciate the you, Arabic buddy. name for Jesus is Esau, so that's pretty close. Esau, Yeshua, yeah, sort sort of close. Oh, yeah. And also, before we let everybody go, I want to remind you uh, that we are having our live in-person debate. Uh, It's going to be in Texas. Uh, We have two different types of tickets. There's a VIP ticket uh, where you get access to an additional debate between David Wood and Kenny Bomer, uh, along with... uh, a special dinner as well, a signed emblem page and a VIP lanyard. How awesome is that? You know, you want to come out and you want to hang out with us, right? Uh, you know, or, or, or tell me that I suck. That's fine. I don't care. Uh, let's have a good time no matter what everybody. Uh, so just remind you guys, uh, as our Lord and Savior here on the channel, James tells you, keep on sifting the reasonable out from the unreasonable, and we will see you next time for more juicy debates. <laughs>